Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the battle has been joined. 25 governors now on the side of Texas in the state of Texas's battle with the Biden administration. Republican governors from across the fruited plains rallying around Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And no, I'm sorry to report, Jelly Belly is not one of them. Uh, Greg Abbott uh, on Fox yesterday explaining both the legal argument. Remember, he's an attorney. The legal argument as to why he can deploy his people and do for the state of Texas what the federal government won't do for them. And then describing the action that's been taken and will continue to be taken. So it was the states that created the United States. And when the states voted to... uh, create the United States and have a constitution, uh, included in that agreement was the compact that the federal government would take care of the states. And Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution speaks to that and and says that uh, if the federal government does not take care of the states and the states are in danger, we can ask the federal government to live up to its obligation. Then the authors of the Constitution knew there would be times when the federal government would not live up to its duty. And so they empowered states in Article 1, Section 10, the right of self-defense. And what Texas is asserting is our Article 1, Section 10 right of self-defense because the President of the United States is not fulfilling his duty to enforce the laws passed by Congress that deny illegal entry into the United States. Yeah, we mentioned this uh, earlier in the week, uh, Article 4, Section 4. That's the argument to be made, that that uh, what Texas is being subjected to is an invasion, and the federal government has a responsibility, constitutional responsibility. You shall protect the states from invasion. Since they're not doing that, Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution, you know, we're talking about the rule of law here, so we might as well make references to it as opposed to the rule of feelings, which is what we have from the power structure in Illinois. Article 1, Section 10, it limits the powers of the states, but listen, for those who don't have your pocket constitution handy, states may not enter into a treaty with the four nation. That power is given to the president with the advice and consent of two-thirds of the uh, Senate present. States cannot make their own money, nor can they grant a title of nobility. But uh, it goes on to say, unless, you know, uh, no, no state shall... No, oh, wait, here, let me let me get to it here. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ship of wars in time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state with the foreign power, or engage in war, unless actually invaded, or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. So you have the Article Four, Section Four responsibility of the federal government, and then you have, in the founders' infinite wisdom, should the federal government fail to do its job. You have Article 1, Section 10 powers 
that uh, are the province of the state. And that's exactly the argument that Governor Abbott is making. And that's why the effort that the state of Texas is making will continue pending the case before the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. What Texas is doing is just very simple. And, and, and that is because the Biden administration has really, truly abdicated its responsibility to secure the border and enforce the laws, Texas very simply is securing the border. And so we put up the razor wire that you were talking about, Bill, and we put up all these barricades that actually have denied illegal entry. Uh, and as you pointed out also in that screen, that there are criminals coming across our border. Texas has a right as a state to stop criminals from coming into our state, to make arrests of those criminals. Uh, and we have National Guard as well as Texas Department of Public Safety officers who are there to make those arrests and to deny illegal entry. And Joe Biden actually does have an option here. Joe Biden's option is to enforce the laws of the United States and stop this illegal entry. So, Three, Texas, oh, oh, okay, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. So the Supreme Court said that the feds could take down the razor wire, but Texas can put it back up. That's an ancillary issue, right? That's not... Well, the the Supreme Court uh, removed an injunction okay. that the Fifth Circuit Court had uh, imposed that would prevent the feds from removing the razor wire. But that doesn't mean that the case has been – in fact, it, it specifically doesn't mean the case has been adjudicated on the merits, and this is the point that Abbott and others make. Ultimately, they hope to win – the argument based on the argument you just heard from Abbott, Article Four, Section Four, combined with Article One, Section Ten, and uh, and then win at the Supreme Court level too, which is why I was pumping the brakes on the hysterics that were being directed at Amy Coney Barrett as some sort of oh, betrayal of this and that. You have to understand where it was in the process, how thin the record was, the court record that the Supreme Court reviewed, leveled up from the Fifth Circuit. They didn't. Make They didn't offer an opinion on any of this. They only uh, removed an injunction, and now the case has been sent back to the Fifth Circuit. So Governor Abbott is proceeding as he was, Mm -hmm. and now he's been joined by two dozen of his uh, friends and colleagues in governor's offices around the nation, including next door in uh, the great state of Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt. Oklahoma and Florida and Tennessee, and you got all these other states that would send our National Guard uh, to help and, and to support the efforts of, uh, of uh, Governor Abbott. Uh, so and, if- and, and, he, and Stitt went on to talk about the deployment. I mean, you know, remember, uh, the governors have Deployed a troops. dominion over the National Guard until and unless the federal government, the president, would nationalize the, the uh, state National Guards and put them at his direction. But then... You know, you see what Abbott's done in Texas, which is to essentially deputize all law enforcement in the state to help with border patrol. Uh, and, and I actually went personally went down there to view it myself and to, mm-hmm. and to be with our troops. And uh, we're looking at doing that again uh, in the not so distant future. So we'll be in contact with Governor Abbott and whatever he needs uh, our support for. And every state should stand with Texas right now because this is an invasion. I mean, can you imagine if North Koreans were taking over? Uh, say Hawaii or, or or Guam or Puerto Rico or one of our territories, and we didn't do anything. The governor has a right to defend its people and its state. 
Well, it's interesting that this is more than just um, signing a letter. These governors are offering more than just signing a letter. You heard from Stitt. We'll be in t- touch with Abbott for personnel needs, whatever. Uh, Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota, of course, uh, she's going to drive down some razor wire yeah. from South Dakota if Abbott needs it. Governor any. Abbott has done the exact right thing, and I'll drive him more razor wire from South Dakota if I have to for him to do his job. What people forget is that governors are commanders-in-chief. We're responsible for the men and women of our National Guard. It's a heavy responsibility that weighs on our shoulders. And so we never engage our National Guard soldiers and those men and women unless it's incredibly important and if we feel that we have the constitutional authority to do that in this situation. Over two years ago, I declared it a war zone at the southern border, just how it was impacting South Dakota. My guard has been down there on multiple deployments supporting the Texas National Guard. Our border patrol agents do not support what President Biden is doing. Our ICE people on the ground do not support what President Biden is doing. Democrats in this country do not support what President Biden is doing at the southern border. And they disagree with him fundamentally. He's so out of touch. He is remaking this country. We will be Europe. Within a year or two, if we allow President Biden to continue this invasion of our country, over six million people have come here illegally. It is time to stand our ground, and we'll be down there standing shoulder to shoulder with Governor Abbott. It's really an interesting moment when you've got uh, half of the country's governors um, essentially uh, standing the line against the federal government. And, um, you know, we talked about this before, too. It's not like the Customs and Border Patrol uh, officers and the Texas National Guard or other law enforcement personnel in Texas, they're not at odds with one another. No, they want to work together to do it. And and don't forget, you know, even if the Biden moved to federalize the National Guard in Texas, those are still Texans. Yeah, they have family there and kids that they want to protect. But it's can gonna... you imagine the, the, the imagery, Dan, if Biden calls in the feds to take over to federalize the Texas National Guard, Texas Rangers. I mean, can you well, imagine? Like, he ignored the problem for three years, and he's not fighting to stop the invasion. He's fighting to stop Abbott. Well, what, it, what is he even going to do if they try to um, to commandeer that Shelby Park area that uh, they don't have access to? I'm talking about Border yeah. Patrol right now. That'll be ground zero of it. Is that where the Civil War begins? This is a moment, but I suspect that uh, Biden doesn't want this sort of showdown. He doesn't really need it. Um, you can give Shelby Park and other portions of the border to Texas, and um, you still have your open borders, and you still have the invasion. The flood continues. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. 
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, we were talking about uh, the governors around the country closing ranks with Governor Abbott in his fight with the federal government. Twenty-five governors uh, standing with, uh, including and standing with Abbott, that are um, going to back his play against the open borders abdication of the federal government. What about at the local level? What about the local level here? And also, too, by the way, we had this conversation with Andy McCarthy, of course, National Review, and with all the focus on Biden Incorporated, the uh, the racketeering operation, for lack of a better description, to uh, funnel money from enemies of America to the Biden family and up to the big guy. All the focus on the crime family aspect of their uh, graft and corruption. Uh, McCarthy saying, you know, the focus actually should be on his failure to do his constitutionally mandated job as the chief executive of the federal government when it comes to border security. And it probably would uh, generate more attention and more support because it has more attention being paid to it at present. Something to consider. And it also something to consider, too, in case I know we've got that parents coalition a petition being circulated for that parents' rights question to be put on the 24 ballot. But something else, too. I mean, there is a recall provision now, thanks to Brad Blagojevich, in the uh, Illinois State Constitution, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 and 10, 20 state reps and 10 state senators. Uh, so it needs to be 10 Dems, 10 Republicans in the House, 5 Dems, 5 Republicans in the Senate can authorize a petition to be circulated where you need, uh, I think, 15% of the total ballots cast for governor in the previous election. Um, You want to talk about a a worthwhile endeavor to revitalize something representing opposition to this new Marxist hierarchy that controls the state. This seems to me like it could be a fruitful effort if there were interested parties to undertake it, like whatever constitutes the Republican Party these days. I mean, what was it? There was about, uh, call it, four million ballots cast uh, in the governor's race in 2022. So uh, 15% is uh, about, um, what, 600,000 600, signatures? That's doable. Not impossible, no. So I anyway. sign that. Just thinking about that, because I, I know the, all eyes are on the city, and I know all the suburbs are passing the buck and saying, you know, saying, look, uh, there's more than enough, like Naperville just did, with our friend Josh uh, Josh McGroom's uh, sign- sign-up sheet pending. I mean, we don't need a sign-up sheet. We were thinking about a sign-up sheet. We don't need a sign-up sheet, because there's just more than enough hands on deck, so we don't need to um, encourage our residents or even offer them an opportunity to live their values here in Naperville. We don't, we don't want any part of that. Very interesting. Um, but just because you're not welcoming them, dare I say, Naperville, not a welcoming city, just because you're kicking them out, dare I say, Oak Park, not a welcoming place. It used to be until, you know, the end of the month they've had enough. 
Uh, does it mean that um, when you have, as you heard, we know, 6 million, 9 million over the last three years? I mean, the numbers keep moving around. I, I think it's hard to account for it. But we, we know you're talking about millions of people. And the government doesn't know where many of them are, right? The government admitted it didn't know where 85,000 children were last year that entered the country with or without a parent. Disappeared. So, you know, they're going to wind up in the strangest places. It's not all neat and tidy. Oh, well, they, they, they oh, come and... Keeping they, tabs on everybody. Yeah, they just, right, they Don't drop care. them off here. They, right. We have a landing center in Chicago. We've got 28 migrants. Like, this is all well-constructed and well-conceived and was thought uh, thought about well in advance. No, of course not. It's the city government. You can't ask for a more dysfunctional group of people. Well, this is interesting. Uh, illegal immigrants are being housed in the countryside era, area, that countryside here in the suburbs. Four uh, illegal immigrants were arrested for shoplifting at Oakbrook Macy's on Tuesday. They gave their addresses the American Inn and Suites located at 6401 Joliet Road in LaGrange Highlands. The, uh, uh, it was retail theft. Four suspects. Officers from the Oakbrook Police Department responded to the incident. Um, the uh, mayor of Countryside, Sean McDermott, so the that uh, the American Inn and Suites is actually located just over the municipal line in the Grange Highlands. So Countryside itself has no illegal immigrants housed there, as far as he knows. I mean, and I think the point he's making is we're not looking to do that. We're not bringing them. We're not supporting this. But as far as he knows, two illegal immigrants from Chile living in Chicago were arrested for stealing over $10,000 worth of goods from the same Macy's. Well, that's right. It's a hot place to go if you're a migrant six or an illegal. Fel- uh, Oak Brook Chief of Police. Six felony arrests in one day. I think it illustrates that migrant criminal activity is a real problem. Hmm. The amount of these types of arrests that we've had in the last couple of months is significant and would be taxing for any police department. We're well prepared to continue our enforcement efforts. I can assure you that there are easier places to commit these crimes than Oak Brook or DuPage County. Well, please do point them out so the migrants know. I mean, I, I get what he's saying, but uh, but uh, the important point of it was, yeah, we've had a we have had in the last couple of months the uh, a number of arrests significant would be taxing for any police department. So the idea that because uh, your mayor waved off a bus. Or those who uh, uh, deboarded a train and sent them to Chicago, that uh, you're insulated from what's happening? I think the Oak Brook police chief would tell you you're not. 312 642 5600, line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Jordan in Forest Park, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if in the next few months uh, the Biden administration actually does crack down on the border to uh, reduce or maybe eliminate this uh, as an issue in the election. I, I have to believe that uh, President Obama um, would not – it disagrees with what he's doing and is telling him that this is going to be an issue and you ought to try to eliminate it or at least reduce it 
you know, as an issue going forward. So I, and then if he wins the election, it'll go back to what it is now. Thanks for the call, Jordan. Um, you know who else disagrees with what Biden is doing now? Who? Joe Biden. Oh, really? Joe Biden, 2007. Oh, when, yeah, I heard this. When he was a candidate against uh, Barack Obama. This is uh, from a debate, 2007, Joe yeah. Biden. Would you allow these cities to ignore the federal law regarding the reporting of illegal immigrants and, in fact, provide sanctuary to these immigrants? The reason the cities ignore the federal law is the fact that there is no funding at the federal level to provide for the kind of enforcement at the federal level you need. Pick up the New York Times today. There's a city not far across the river from my state that imposed a similar sanctions. And what they found out is, as a consequence of that, their city went in the dumps, in, in, in the dumpster. Stores started closing. Everything started to happen. And they changed the policy. Part of the problem is you have to have a federal government that can enforce laws. This administration has been fundamentally derelict in not funding any of the requirements that are needed to even enforce the existing law. So, Senator law. Biden, yes or no, would you allow the cities to ignore the federal law? No. No, but he's a company man, and that's where the party was when they were... I mean, it's just incredible to think about this. You know, a, less than 20 years ago, the the party, all those candidates on stage, Barack Obama, Joe Biden among them, were criticizing the George W. Bush administration over their lax border security. Right. My how things have changed. Right. 17 years later, here we are. Amazing. Things changed. I mean, remember, it was civil unions, then then they allowed gay marriage, but at first, no. The party is uh, unrecognizable today. Speaking of, um, I mean, uh, Obama, Joe Obama, the two of them, They've really uh, evolved over the last couple of decades. By the way, um, I'm not sure about what Jordan said, that Barack Obama, maybe he would say privately, but he would never say publicly what Jordan said, that, you know, you've got to enforce this. You've got to have a border crackdown. You've got to stop the flow. He would never say that publicly because he's a cipher as well. He's just a more skilled cipher than his number two man there, Joe Biden, the big guy. Barack Obama in 2005? Just to refresh your recollection on these two. We all agree on the need to better secure the border and to punish employers who choose to hire illegal immigrants. Uh, You know, we are a generous and welcoming people here in the United States, but those who enter the country illegally and those who employ them disrespect the rule of law, uh, and they are showing disregard for those who are following the law. Uh, we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, and circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, diligently, and lawfully uh, to become immigrants in this country. I'll tell you what, those two clips would make for some pretty good Trump ads, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah. And remember no, I- when, when President Obama was in charge and he had the House and he had the Senate? They did nothing with the Dreamers. They could have done what they wanted. They could have done anything. They had control of everything, and they sat on their hands. Yeah, because Tiny Dancer thought it was not politically astute to do that. Uh, I'm probably right. And also they were looking for the bigger, better deal. Which never came. (laughs) Well, obviously. Yeah. Uh, It's the same thing now the Senate Republicans have been attempting to do, which is a catastrophic error, and which is why uh, I've suggested— 
And you can check out my latest commentary on it at uh, Am Greatness, my counterculture podcast. Move the migrants to Mitch. Move the migrants to Mitch in Lexington. Send a couple of buses, Governor Abbott, to McConnell's district office, what about to McConnell's Langford? home. Yeah. Same thing with Lankford in Oklahoma. Show that you're willing to, in a uh, post-partisan way, advance the principle, regardless of who is standing in the way of this principled position on border security. Surrender Republicans, uh, open borders, Marxist Democrats, doesn't matter. And they want to let 5,000 a day come in. Don't let any come in. How's Dawn, that sound? Dawn in Crystal Lake. Yes, it's the Roman Catholic Church. Put them on a plane and send them to the Vatican. The Catholic bishops are still demanding that the border be open, that all of these migrants be allowed in, and Joe Biden is Catholic. Yeah, right. He's John Catholic. Roberts right. is sure Catholic, was. and Amy Coney Barrett is Catholic. Yeah, I know you're. An, I know you're a Catholic bigot, uh, Don. Thanks for the call. But um, and I am. I'm Catholic, and I'm happy to be critical of the church, as you've heard me be critical of the church many times on this show in terms of its leadership and the policy positions they take, both locally, nationally, and internationally. But um, so there's a there are Catholic charities we've talked about here being a participant in the movement of migrants around the country. Uh, I understand the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops is a left leftist organization. I have the same frustration with the liberation theology Catholics that uh, other people do. But, I mean, the idea that this is some sort of um, uh, da Vinci Code, Catholic Church conspiracy, and these are all the chess pieces of Pope Francis is absurd. Phil and Darian. Hey, good morning, guys. And you just mentioned that 2007 Biden uh, recording would be a great ad for Trump. Now, we all know, your listeners and you two know, that that will never be played in a debate or anything. And I'm just wondering why that is. I support Trump 100%, but why isn't stuff like that thrown in his face so his listener, his supporters can see it? What do you think? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, I don't, what, what, what are you insinuating? You're insinuating like Trump doesn't want to highlight their hypocrisy? I, I'm just saying that the deep state, now I'm not saying he's a part of it, but stuff like that never comes out and it should come out. Yeah. And, I mean, and that's I, all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, I agree. I mean, you know, there's different communication strategies and stuff, but I mean, the Biden and the Obama stuff in particular, I mean, it's just so delicious and it's so straightforward and it couldn't be more obvious. So, yeah, I think and, you know, and this is why this is why this is such a great era. All the problems with social media platforms, notwithstanding, you know, these digital platforms and all these people out there essentially serving the purpose of citizen journalists, um, you know, that dig up these clips and you're sharing and so on and so forth. And these things move at the speed of a click. And um, and that's good. That's good because this will get around whether it ever it's ever platformed in a presidential debate or or whatever choices the Trump campaign makes to use them or not use them. It's still going to get around. It just did. Mike in Yorkville. 
Morning, Dan and Amy. Hey, you know, I know how you talk about the Catholic Church, but it's not just the Catholic Church who's who's accepting no kidding. migrants. It is out here also. I used to hear from my pastor how he used to talk about he used to speed and all that. He would tell us to say, make sure you're following the laws and everything else. But as soon as it came to these migrants, we didn't hear anything about that, saying, if you're doing illegal action, you should head home. No. They view it as possibly a mission field, for all we know. But the problem is, we're told to make sure you pay your taxes, you do whatever you need to do, but these people come on in, break the laws, that's fine. And to us, that's hypocritical. And there's only probably one pastor I know out in the surrounding suburb areas that will actually talk directly about that. We'll talk about the theft of how people are getting on their taxes in this state and many others. And it's a sad fact. It's not just the Catholics. It's just it's out there across the whole land. Right, because it's this. You're right, Mike. Exactly right. Because it's it's a problem of sentimentality, and that's a problem. uh, That sentimentality problem has infected most of our institutions: governmental, civic, uh, nonprofit, corporate, and so right. So so there's no uh, institution including religious ones that haven't been touched by this. Now, there are the, those that are sophisticated enough to rebel against it because they understand the implications. We talked about one of them real world earlier in the week. So uh, in Illinois, I mean, and you put this to your uh, priest as I would if I needed to. But, you know, the St. Saint, uh, Saint John Cantius isn't a problem. Speaking of the Catholic Church in Chicago, um, what, you know, one of the, the few bright lights but but I mean, put this to to whoever you want to put it to, all the, the, the all the sentimental barbarians that are within your circles of communication. A billion dollars plus we know has been spent of your money, of our collective money in Illinois, uh, providing health care services to migrants. Billion dollars plus, we know this. Well, yeah, they live for free. They get clothes for free. They get three meals a day, and they have health care if they need it, and a van to drive them around. And that doesn't include what's been spent in the city of Chicago at the local level, repurposing $90 million in COVID funds right. here and uh, authorizing $50 billion here. You know, it, so, you know, real money. And against that backdrop, Illinois families who have a family member with a developmental disability, developmental intellectual disability, mm-hmm. uh, are faced with a proposed $87 million budget cut. This is something that Illinois Department of Human Services proposed. So you're going to spend billions on people who are in this country illegally. And I'm not talking about denying people in need health care or anything like that. The whole point is the philosophy. People, People that are here who shouldn't be here, not in the way that they came here. You want to go through the immigration process? Fine. You want to reform the immigration process? Fine. We can have this conversation. You want to uh, open up the doors and say, bum rush the place? Not fine. Simple. And it's also simple to say, you tell me, since you're, you know, since you, father, the clergy, are supposed to be an arbiter of things moral and celestial, you tell me, how that is righteous to take a billion dollars from people who uh, work hard for the money that the state extracts from them and the state promises to take that money that it extracts from them and do certain things that 
generally everyone agrees with, and there's not a lot, but one of them is providing services to people who need those services through no fault of their own. I don't see a lot of opposition to providing quality services through social service providers and or the state to people who need them because they have an intellectual and developmental disability. Not much opposition to it, but they're, they're easy to go after because they're not really that politically powerful. And so and, and it's also I mean, it's chump change, as I said earlier in this week, 87 million in a state budget of 55 billion. And given, again, the context of what we're spending on people who shouldn't be here, who are. So it's you, so you want to have a conversation about morality? Because, you know, uh, every budget is a, is a morality document. It's a moral document. It's moral decisions. Right. So you, you explain to me how that is the righteous position. Father, cardinal, etc. Mary Kay in Western Springs, quickly. Hi, God, Dan. Everything you say makes so much sense to me. Um, I'm, I'm so glad I wake up and listen to this every day. So West Acres Street was the street where the five the five murders happened. My aunt lives right down the street from that. She's 97, and my cousin pushes her down the street in her wheelchair. Um, you know, they could have been out there easily and just got off real quick. And so there it is visiting me through a family member's out in Joliet. Thanks for the call, Mayor Kay. We, we got to go, but I appreciate the call. Thank All you. All right. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, in these uh, times of migrants, migrants everywhere, and uh, nary a Marxist uh, who's opened their home, we have a, a counterexample. And I'm interested in uh, how people will react to the story of Chris Amator and what he is doing with the properties that he owns in Chicago, Amy. Yeah, he uh, owns several buildings, and he has decided... To give a gift from God. He said this is God's will. He went to Marquette University. He has been. Uh, he mo- normally deals with residential properties on the south side in Inglewood and Chatham and South Shore. But he has decided that he's going to open up 15 of his buildings, which he has done. And he is housing more than 443 adults and children from all over the world. I just decided, hey, I got the heat on, I got gas, I got electric, water. I go, let's fill them and we'll worry about the details later. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 646 type in DA, then a quick comment. Now, Dan, he's not from Naperville, yet he signed up anyway 
And this was the reason why it was a cold day. It was, you know, we had a string of days where it was just sub-zero temperatures. I saw five-year-olds with no jackets on the streets. You know, I was taking my jacket off, putting it on them, and and uh, and and I'm like, tomorrow is going to be negative fourteen. I'm like, what's going on? And Dan, he's encouraging other property owners to set up their abandoned buildings to do the same. I mean, is this guy a hero? Is he heavenly, or is he destroying their city? Uh, well, it was, was he got about four hundred fifty migrants he's providing residence to right now. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Adults and, and children, and they were waving in the windows when Channel 7, they're so happy. I mean, they're just happy to be out of the shelter and he living on big, top of each other. He owns a big multifamily building on, on South Shore neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. This one's on South Essex. I remember there was video um, of neighbors across the street. Uh, they tweeted out. They put it on TikTok. They say that these abandoned buildings were being invaded by illegals. Well, they weren't. They were invited in by Chris. Yeah, just like they were invited into the country by Biden. Exactly. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six da turnkey dot pro text line. What do you think about uh, Chris Amator's gesture? Well, there's one neighbor. Her name's Veronica Cotton. She's South Shore resident. Um, she's since got a job. She's employed. She, you know, but she was homeless with her son for two years, and she didn't get this kind of help. Not saying that it's not right to help them, but it's not right for others not to get help as well. Well, right. I mean, this is, well, I mean, I, you know, Chris, that's not on Chris Amator, whatever, whenever she was in need and she wasn't able to get the help she, she uh, uh, required. But um, so, but fair enough. I mean, her larger point, which is the point that many are making, is just the point we were making at the end of the hour, which is um, prioritizing non-resident, non-citizens with the resources of resident citizens who provide those resources to serve resident citizens has the order of priority reversed, doesn't it? Is that so complicated? It kind of seems like a fire hazard, too, because that building on South Essex has 57 people in it. And I think there's about six or eight units max, and that's a lot of people to pack in. But he said that the heat was on. I mean, he never cuts off the heat or water to any of his places, even if they're vacant. And he said that God, it was God's will. I just decided to submit my free will and do God's plan. And and I I feel that, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what is right. And wherever the chips fall, that's, that's that's not up to me. I mean, I'm stuck on this one. I don't know if he's a good Samaritan or if he's just wreaking havoc and creating chaos. Because the well, government's not keeping tabs on these people. If someone's there to take somebody out of a shelter, like, okay, I mean, not even if they're not there to even stop them. Well, so you, so yeah, the question is, is he an accomplice or is he a, a good Samaritan? Um, it would have been interesting to ask, of course, you know, the Chicago press corps wouldn't think to ask this question, but. Um, how are you making decisions about uh, who you allow to live in the properties that you exactly, own? Because some are children living with men that they don't know each other, and well, I don't know. Well, do you know that? I, I don't know. No, well, I'm that's asking. What they said that there in his one building, he has 57 people in one building, and some are adults and some are children. But I don't know who belongs to who or what. Well, right, on. so that's my point. Yeah. So, so how are you making decisions about who... You provide residence to in your buildings. Number one, number two. How long do you think you can keep this up? 
Do you think there should be a permanent situation? Are you willing to make it a permanent situation? Or are you hoping that, uh, yes, others per- follow your example for right now, particularly during the winter months, but uh, this uh, you understand this is not a long-term solution to anything? I mean, I have not, you know, look, uh, the, the, this guy doesn't seem to be making a political statement. I think he's trying to, um, you know, be, uh, uh, you know, in service to his neighbor and help, you know, he said, he said, it's, you know, see a, a kid uh, out in the freezing cold without a jacket. I mean, yeah, that it's understandable that would uh, generate empathy and say, well, if I could do something, then I want to do something. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't really find anything wrong with what he's doing. He didn't make the policy. He's not telling Biden not to provide border security. He's not uh, running around saying, yay, it's a sanctuary city. Yay, it's a sanctuary state. I mean, I don't know what his views are. But in terms of what he's doing and the way he described the basis for why he's doing it, that doesn't bother me. This is from um, a black listener on the South Side. She said, Dan and Amy, the guy just wants to wants the per head that goes along with the illegal, you know, immigrants. You mean the the per head ran from the city? Yeah, but I don't I mean, he didn't mention that. And I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. She says this is a disaster. Cultures don't mix. The illegals feel entitled and they're arrogant and disrespectful. The property owner invited people in who hate the inhabitants of the neighborhood. Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know that. I mean, I, and certainly, again, you're talking about, we're talking about tens of thousands of people now. So I, I don't like to make sweeping statements mm. about people. I, the migrants, uh, people here that are illegally, it's a mixed bag like the rest of humanity, like any slice of humanity. It's going to be a mixed bag, I suspect. And so what I would say is, you know, if he's trying to do what those uh, West Loop real estate uh, titans we discussed earlier in the week are doing to to monetize his property that's otherwise laying uh, dormant, then okay, whatever. I I mean, here's my thing, though. I don't there's no reason to be punitive in the direction of the migrants as a general category. Right. I don't I don't want to be punitive to anybody except anybody who would, you know, is on the terror watch list or has committed a crime and has not been ejected. Yeah, I want to be punitive to those people, not really punitive. I want to be just to Americans by getting them out. Uh, and, you know, rank order priority here. Predators out first. Right. Let's focus there and then work our way. Drug um, use out. But but I mean, but, but the, my 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 suggestion would be Let's not be punitive in the direction of migrants. There's no need. And it takes focus away from the people uh, we should be punitive with. And uh, that's the politicians, of course. Lots of text messages. Dan and Amy, he is an enabler. Dan, good luck getting them out when it's time to go. Well, I mean, you know, that's uh, you, that, that, that text is right. I mean, do you, know, you think uh, Tom Dart is going to... Uh, you know, enforce evictions, uh, evictions if that's what it comes to. I mean, he's a no, he's a sentimental barbarian, just like the rest of them. He plays fast and loose with the law, with evictions based on the politics of it. Absolutely, he's too busy, you know, trying to flesh out uh, puppy pounds so he can rescue them and get his picture in the paper. I mean, so I, I hear what you're saying. So yeah. that's you know, that's the risk you take in Chicago. The you take a risk opening a business in Chicago. You take a risk living in Chicago. That you take a risk participating in the way that this guy is. But, but again, I don't find anything, uh, you know, disagreeable with his motivation. Even if he is getting the 
per head, per diem, or per head, per month stipend or whatever I'm the sure city is. is paying. If they're not paying them now, I'm sure that they will. And then they'll encourage them to open up other buildings. Well, oh, here's hey. A- Here's the you text know, message. Yeah. Um, but, it, but speaking of, but, but look, uh, these newsrooms have room. We talk, keep talking about other institutions. How about the Sun Times and the Tribune, NPR Times and the Tribune? They got nobody works oh. there anymore. So, well, why don't you, you know, create some space in those newsrooms too? The LA Times just laid off 115 people. They got an empty newsroom. And no, mostly newsrooms have showers because they have gyms in their facilities. Oh, so oh they yeah. Can, no, I'm just saying that's important. Not you know, yeah. so they can shower too. Oh, yeah, uh, no. Those yeah. those reporters are in tip-top shape. Dan, he's an idiot. If you free, feed a stray cat, they will bring others and never leave. Uh, okay, well, th- no. these aren't cats. No, they're not cats. These are people. <laughs> if you I, have two I, cats, I, you can end up with 70 cats by the springtime. I yeah, know how I, that I, works. Yes. I, I get the metaphor, but right. again, let's look at this in context. First of all, the city is incompetent. Mm-hmm. Um. All of the money that's being allocated and spent and you and, and not to mention all of the nonprofits that exist and you couldn't coordinate to provide winter clothing to people that get dropped off here. I mean, if you're going to do it, I, I don't want people to die. I don't want that little boy who died in that in Pilsen to have died. We, nobody wants that. So, again, there's no reason to be punitive in that direction. Punitive with BLM Brandon punitive with Jelly Belly, punitive with the city council and the General Assembly and these uh, complicit mayors, including in the suburbs. Yes. But, but let's, you know, pump the brakes here. It's not, there's no reason to go over that. Uh, Tina and Joliet, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, good morning. Hey, I, I love that um, he became so motivated when God's plan included a... a a monthly rent voucher from the taxpayers of this of this generous state. That I I, I just find it. Listen, I agree with you. We, these these people are being dropped off in freezing cold. They may not have a place to go. They may not have proper clothing. But let's not kid ourselves about what the motivation is here. He's he's probably getting paid more than market rate to house them and. And he's passing it off that it was God's will. He had a conversation with God who said, hey, the city of Chicago is going to give you $9,000 worth of rent to house these folks. And he hopped all over it. Baloney. All right, Tina. Thanks for the call. Well, I mean, I, I would uh, I would suggest that would have been a good question to ask, too. We don't know. You know what? We don't know yet. We'll, well find I'm, out. Yeah, but I we don't know yet. Um, but, you know, if they just want to tell the Good Samaritan story. I mean, this is, of course, the, the uh, sentimentalist press advancing their narrative i mean that's obviously the problem but again um uh in this is not advocacy for the position but would you rather have migrants in a police station see i'd much rather have them in the abandoned buildings much rather that and they look so happy and they're warm in there and they're fine but they better they better not mess up like people are watching them, so they've got to act well, like, as my yeah. attorney says, I mean, act like you're three months pregnant. What? No, my what? attorney, whatever. What? Always act like you're three months pregnant. That means when you're three months pregnant, you don't drink, you don't do, you don't hang out at bars, you just you you follow the rules, you don't speed. You're you're three months pregnant. You've never heard that term before. I've never heard that term. Really? And, and, and now it applies like to men term. because men can become pregnant. You I know see that. horse. Such a seahorse, Dan. Uh, seahorse dads. Seahorse yeah. dads. 
Uh, mm. Mm. Um, hey, um, the, you... there could be uh, soon. There could be a even better option for the migrants. I don't know if you saw this. This is really something. Talk about the ghettoization of Chicago. And yes, I mean that. Uh, that is not an accidental description. You don't think it can become Detroit? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't, and it will take a lot more, a lot longer. But um, they are pumping, or they are uh, putting their foot down on the pedal, aren't they? The uh, old, remember the old Fordham Spire site? Yeah. Right off Lakeshore Drive there. Uh, 400 North Lakeshore. Yeah. That was going to be, you know, this crown jewel of the city skyline. So much excitement uh, a decade ago or so when that was slated before it didn't come to pass, of course. A massive development at 400 North Lakeshore, the old Fordham Spire site with the, where the big hole is. Will unite Lake Michigan with the Riverwalk, add green space, and earmark, wait for it, Uh-oh. hundreds of units for Chicagoans making less than 50% of the area media income. <gasps> there goes Navy Pier. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I, I mean, say that out loud? I think Navy Pier has already been long gone uh, based on what I witness. Well, that um, was in your backyard. I, w- exactly. <laughs> that was your um, backyard. So... Hundreds of units Uh-oh. at this development, if it uh, ever actually launches, making less than 50% of the area median income. Um, hey, uh, just wonder if there's any case studies in terms of how that works out. Um, anybody been to Presidential Towers lately? That place has turned into a dump. That used to be the place, member. In the 90s, it, w- it was anybody who was successful, young, in their 20s, early 30s. They lived in presidential towers. We'd go to parties there. It was great. It was it was that place. Yeah, it was. Right until the consequences of the low-income units, the number of low-income units set aside for low-income, uh, right until that started to actually be implemented and take effect, and then the results that followed. Yeah. I always tell the story. I lived in a building at Berteau and Ashland, with, and they had Section 8 housing that they brought in. And I was like, okay. And one family was great, and the other family was a disaster. Would just pee outside. Like, why? You got a bathroom in your house. Going, why do you got to pee on the side of the building? I like to go all natural. Um, yeah, so um, public housing projects don't work. Cabrini Green, uh, Robert Taylor Homes. I, I mean, is this and, and this, and making them fancy or making them. Um, sort of diverse in terms of economics, but but doing so from a position of government subsidy and government mandate. Okay. Tell you what, that's going to be, uh, I don't know, it could be a hundred stories, a hundred story migrant shelter in the next few years, the just, way we're going. Yeah, just do it. Let's let's You know what? Let's let it all burn down. They took away school choice. They've t- they're doing the charter schools. They're not signing 10-year contracts. They're doing one- to four-year contracts. Oh, yeah. They're on the chopping block. Yeah. As soon as you can start closing schools again, which is next year, the charter schools are on the chopping block. Of course. Because it's not fair, the lottery system and blah, blah, blah. I watched that whole Chicago Public School Board meeting yesterday and wanted to rip my hair out. Steve, Norwood Park, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Yes, uh, I just wanted to call in somewhat defense to him, sir. I've known the guy since grade school. He really is a uh, he is a self-made guy, and he, there's nothing disingenuous about him. He uh, 
you know, there, there's no other sort of um, ill intention or trying to make a point. He really is just a nice guy who, Good. if he sees somebody that needs something, he's the guy to help out. That you're talking about Chris Amator. You went to high, you've yeah. known him since grade school. You said, right? Yeah. Where'd you guys mm-hmm. grow up on yeah, in the city? Edison Park. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean that. So, I mean, I, I messaged him too to see if you know. I, I told him you guys were talking about him, so message to see if maybe if he'd uh, you know call and talk to you guys. But um, yeah, I'd love to talk yeah, to he, him. He really is just a just a really really great guy. I, that, I, honestly, that's the way he struck me. I mean, yep. That's why I, I, you know, I, that that's the way it struck me. And he didn't, he didn't, you know, get into politics and stuff like this. He that makes sense what he saw, and then he was motivated to do something. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, in fact, there's no, something re- he, redeeming about it. Yes, and being successful, he's made his money. He's happy, and he, like I say, he's he's more than willing to uh, share. You don't know anything about like, does he have an arrangement with the city for rental assistance or anything like that? Do you? I don't know about any of those details. That's why I figured, you know, I messaged him. I'm waiting for him to get back to me. Uh, I don't, I don't know what his schedule is in the morning, but um, if right. he gets back to me, I'll have him give you guys. Uh, oh, you know, please Steve, do. You guys yeah, call. yeah, I'd love to talk to him. Thanks for the call, Steve. Look, if Steve from Norwood Park vouches for him, I mean, that's good enough for me. You know, that's all Nor- we need to know. I mean, he seems genuine. He seems sincere. He seems like a godly man who wants to give back. I don't have a problem with it. The residents in that neighborhood do for some reason, but we got a text message saying, Dan and Amy, black and Central American people do not mix. I don't know what that means. I mean, Somebody well, okay. call in, whoever texted that in, and explain if you can. 312-642-5600. Norwood Park, uh, you know, Norwood Park Steve, as we now call him, yeah. since we've met, known him for three seconds. Uh, <laughs> Best friends. Uh, you know, this is this like you know, like regular guy kind of. Yeah, it's pretty. I, that's yeah, pretty good. Edison Park too. Well, for you know, we moved from Edison Park to Norwood Park. You know, Norwood Park's a suburb of Edison Park. You know how that works over there. Yeah, good people in Norwood Park. I mean, except for their representation, that uh, twenty pounds of dung in a ten-pound bag they call Bob Martwick oh, scum, scum that he is. So I don't know. So maybe uh, actually on. In, Further reflection, upon further reflection, maybe there is some concern about the judgment there. Hmm. Uh, Susie, Northside. Good morning. Um, I got a statement and a question. Okay. Uh, the administration has done a disservice to all of us, including the migrants. But, Dan, isn't it true, depending on the population, you gain more seats in the House and electoral votes? I'll yes. wait for your answer. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. Thanks for the call. Susie. No, I I get it. I, people are making that argument that as Illinoisans flee, you got to replace them with something so we right. don't lose more members of Congress and more political power. God forbid if we lost a congressional seat. And according to the census, Again. they do count uh, non-citizen, non. I'm sorry, illegals as they're, they're counted uh, as citizens. George in Naperville. I speak English today. Dan, this man uh, helping the migrants does sound like a wonderful guy, but what is he going to do when uh, these migrants start demanding improvements in the buildings and, you know, complaints? He's going to need interpreters. I mean, this could be also turn into a major headache for the man. Well, well I guess. It could, it could, you could just hire Schneider for one day at a time well, to be the building super. No, make somebody be Schneider. Find the leader in the group there out, out of the 57. Find, a, you know, a hand, there's got to be a handy person in there some, 
Someone's got to be. And then start rehabbing the building. I mean, if you're going to live there and stay there for free, don't you think they should do some work? I mean, they were taking down the um, the windows were boarded up, so they were helping out taking those down yesterday. Yeah. All right. Well, get do, I mean, do get like, moving. Just start doing get, it. Get Bookman from Good Times and Schneider from One Day at a Time, and get them both over there. And I'll give to them co-manage a the building key ring, and they can put it on their belt. All right. Uh, uh, Bane in Downers Grove loved you in Dark Knight. Actually, it's Dean. Thanks oh, Dean. For, uh, oh, Dean. Like Bane better. Yeah, no. I don't know how we uh, missed that, but you know, all right. Gonna have to check the hearing of our screener. Go ahead, Dean. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan, Amy. I'm I'm actually a contractor. Been in uh, concrete business, coatings, a number of different things. But um, I used to be a GC for a large commercial contractor, and we're seeing a lot of the commercial spaces, especially you know coming up. I think in the next year, we're going to see a lot of them being uh, forfeited. Um, yeah. But the problem with those spaces, converting them, it's it's not really, really applicable for residential. It'd be like building cells, basically, in those places. Right. There's, there's some other there's some other things happening in the construction industry nationwide. Uh, Habitat for Humanity is building houses with uh, 3D concrete printing. And these houses are being put up in like eight days. Um, they're like 500 square foot houses. They're made like basically like mud huts. And, um, you know, very, very well insulated, very energy efficient. Um, a lot of the 3D printing technology for this stuff is coming from Europe. Uh, there's a company called 3D Buffalo um, Printing that's uh, starting to do some stuff with these, these, these places. But, I mean, as we look at the landscape of the United States, there's, you know, 48% of, of the land has 80% of the population. So, you know, we've got a lot of open space and areas to kind of assimilate these people with this problem that we're having in communities that could, you know, possibly just put mental, you know, and, and work, trade, uh, all those schools, you know, within a community and, and, and kind of take it away from this metropolitan problem that we're having. But we do need, you know, we do need people that, that work in the city to have places to live because, you know, Coming from the suburbs to the city costs you fifty bucks just to you know cost in the Cook County. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks yeah. for the call, Dean. Appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you. You know, North Lake Island sounds like a great place for those mud huts. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah we're gonna be nice, nice mud hut village there. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Um, California is going to be a land of nomadic tribes. Uh, they're going to have to go back in time to horses and buggies and so forth uh, if uh, they're going to meet that 2035 demand by Governor Patrick Bateman to eliminate cars with combustion engines, right? I, I say that because... Um, the big automakers are slashing production of their EV fleets. Ford slashing production of its F-150 Lightning uh, that has been plagued with defects. There have been recalls. It sold 24,000 of them last year and lost roughly $36,000 on each EV in the third quarter of last year. So now Ford's cutting its production at its plant in Michigan while increasing output of the gas-powered Bronco SUV and Ranger pickup. 
Jim Farley, <laughs> giving you the corporate speak on this. We are taking advantage of our manufacturing flexibility to offer consumers choices while balancing our growth and profitability. Right. Thank you, Jim. GM told its Chevy dealers to stop selling its Blazer SUV owing to software and other problems. Consumer uh, Reports survey in November found new EVs have 79% more problems than internal combustion cars. And of course, we talked before about Hertz uh, selling off a third of its global EV fleet, buying more gas-powered cars. So uh, what's going on? Are the subsidies not big enough? Is that it? For more on this and other matters economic, we're pleased to be joined by our friend Chris Whalen. Chris Whalen is an investment banker, chairman of Whalen Global Advisors, author of Ford Men from Inspiration to Enterprise, and editor of the Institutional Risk Analyst. Chris Whalen, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. So, um, uh, Jim Farley, a modern day Henry Ford? No, he can add and subtract, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, he can. You, you, you know, the EV uh, phenomenon in the U.S. and around the world is kind of like Mao's great leap forward. Uh, it was driven all by politics. It ignores the science completely. You know, in, in Ford Men, I recount the conversations between Thomas Edison and Henry Ford. And both of them wanted to build electric cars. They saw it, right? They said, God, we want electric cars. But the problem is, is that the physics of batteries are not good. They just don't work with cars. So what we've seen again is that the progressives in the U.S. said, oh, we have to do EVs, and you talked about California. That's not going to happen. You know, California will have to change their law, and they will have to admit that we're not there yet until we can put some sort of mechanism to generate electricity inside of a car. It's just not going to be practical. And who said this to chairman of Toyota? I, I was so amazed when the little green morons were arguing with the chairman of Toyota, one of the most <laughs> impressive corporations in the world. And the Japanese know about electronic things, don't they? they they're really good at it. Well, and he I've said, heard. no, yeah. hybrids are probably the best idea. Yes. They're the most practical. I love and he was ridiculed for this because these morons don't understand the science. So here we are. What does yeah, that mean it, for uh, a Tesla or Tulsa, as Biden calls that company? Um, <laughs> we uh, missed their earnings targets, that? by the it's way. The yeah. stock got trashed. We, Elon Musk needs enough money to keep Twitter going, so we're a little concerned. They may force uh, Elon uh, out of Tesla. You know, the really? board has enough uh, oomph, I think, now to get rid of him. There's this lady shareholder activist I keep seeing on CNBC. Who doesn't like Mr. Musk uh, out smoking dope? So, you know, <laughs> we, we live in strange times, guys. <laughs> well, yeah, all these environmentalists and people are like, oh, we have to have green energy. Have they ever looked online and seen any of these Chilean or Chinese lithium-ion battery mines and the child laborers that are in there digging down deep? I mean, it is it's it's not good. It's Anything inhumane. It's bad. Anything oh my god. It's bad. So look, down the road, will we have electrification? Yes, we will. But the science isn't quite there yet, and this is the reality. So you want to get involved? You want to save gas? Get a hybrid. They're fine. You know, look, the science is, actually works, but the pure electric cars, no. Gavin Newsom is not going to be stopped by science, Chris. 
<laughs> well, he'll be stopped by economics, though, as you pointed well, out know. with Ford. You know, the yeah. Lightning is a cool vehicle, but you can't make it economically for this market. Nobody's going to pay for it. Um, I wanted to get to your reaction just now macro um, in terms of the economy. The numbers out yesterday, 2.5% GDP growth last year, 3.1% in the fourth quarter. And uh, government spending and the consumer spending of the gov- money the government printed, that's the way to keep the uh, prosperity rolling along, right? Oh, no. This is another one of these great historical uh, parallels going back to the 1920s. We're in the roaring 20s right now, guys. And this time around, it's not funded with speculation and private sector activity. It's funded with government. So we can make this economy look like it's growing if we borrow enough money. Remember when PepsiCo got into the restaurant business? They bought Taco Bell and all these things, and they kept pouring money into them. And they said, look how great this is. But they were getting annihilated financially. (laughs) And it was only down the road. They looked at the debt they had accumulated, and they said, oh, Maybe this is working. <laughs> and they sold the restaurants and got out. Frito-Lay, that was another one that they owned for a while. So this is on a larger scale what we're doing with the U.S. We are subsidizing current expenditures with debt. And Janet Yellen is creating a real problem in the Treasury market because she's funding all of this with T-bills. Mm-hmm. All of this is inside of one year. So what happens when she can't roll all that short-term debt? And meanwhile, they're not issuing 10 years and 7 years and 30-year bonds because they don't like the price. This is like electric cars, right? Oh, we don't like the price. (laughs) So she's going to hand this mess to Donald Trump. And I think uh, Trump is going to need a really good Secretary of the Treasury. Well, what 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 actually what, understands what's going well, on? Yeah, she was out having breakfast with our governor yesterday. Yes, <laughs> little photo op there. Uh, uh, I know she was in Chicago giving a speech. Yeah, well, she had breakfast you know, with him well. first, and he cleared their plate. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, she she may have to resuscitate that Captain Kangaroo program she used to host <laughs> when she goes into retirement. I miss Captain Kangaroo. Yeah. Those, were, those were. Better days. Simple times. Yeah. Um, so, so you, you know, you said that you know, when when they can't roll the debt. So, w- what is the circumstance in which that would occur? Typically, when we're auctioning treasury debt, you want to have at least two to three bids for every bond you want to sell. In other words, you want a crowd in the room. Most recently, the crowd has gotten down to two bids for every bond you want to sell. If it goes down below one, that becomes a negotiation. Okay, then you're a troubled debtor. You're Argentina. Yeah, but but, I'm, but but I mean, but what is the scenario in which that happens to the United States where the perception is and, and certainly the belief is that uh, that uh, we're still the tallest skyscraper in Wichita? Well, we are. But look at the comparisons. Look at who we're, you know, look at China. Are we worried about China anymore? Come on, guys. That whole thing is going to implode because of the Communist Party. They're no better at economic management than Joe Biden is with his electronic vehicles, right? So Come you're on. saying, well, so, so so you're looking at the other way. You're saying when when countries like China implode, now we don't have anybody to buy our debt. That's the problem. No, no, it's not that. Mostly we finance our debt ourselves. Uh, hedge funds. The basis trade. That's how we sell okay, treasury. Well, well so, so, so if we're not worried about the on the buying side, and we're just worried about on the finance side, then then why, what are we worried about? I mean, is, is it really debt if you don't intend to pay it back? Big. It gets too big. See, 
the U.S. has, in 2008, we got rid of a lot of firms that used to sell treasury bonds. Bear Stearns, Washington Mutual, all of them mm-hmm. had primary dealers. And these people sold bonds in treasury auctions. They're all gone. So the only firms we have left are big banks that don't want to take any risk because they're heavily regulated too much. And then on the other hand, we have all these happy hedge funds that use lots of leverage. And they basically buy the treasury bonds and do a risk-free trade and ride it down until uh, the next auction, right? So when you look at it that way, you say, well, where, where's my constituency for my auctions? Who am I going to sell bonds to next month? And the question is, we don't know. The answer is uh, unfortunate. So that's kind of where we are on the Treasury. I think it's unsustainable. I think Yellen is trying to pretend that she didn't make a mistake in 20 and 21 with spending. And, you know, we're at $35, $36 trillion worth of debt, and a lot of it's front-loaded. A lot of it's short-term. So we have to start issuing longer-term debt if we're going to manage this situation. And that means that long-term interest rates are going to go up, Dan for the first time in decades. We could actually see a normal yield curve where Fed funds is down at, say, four, and the 10-year bond is at six or seven. Now, what does that do to the mortgage market? Because we price 30-year mortgages off of the 10-year treasury. Mm-hmm. We don't price it off Fed funds. So I think we're looking at a normalization of the interest rate markets, and it, the catalyst is the, you know, the fiscal problems of the U.S. Treasury. And so what's your... Um What's your sort of prognosis for the, the, the this election year? What is this election year? What does the economy I, look like going into November? Uh, it's interesting. I'm not expecting a consumer recession. Everybody keeps looking for that. It's not going to happen. It's in commercial real estate. It's going to take years. And I think we muddle along for three or four more years, and then we have a big reset around 2027, 28. Hmm. Uh, I want to get your take on something we were talking about before you joined us. Um, I don't know if you're how familiar you are with the Chicago real estate market. Uh, this is on the residential side, but um, there's a huge project that was slated uh, a decade ago called the Fordham Spire. You familiar with that? You remember that? It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, you know, it was hundred stories, mm-hmm. and it, you know, some that uh, I uh, can't think of the Argentinian architect, but uh, the celebrated architect. It was really cool looking, and people were. Mm-hmm you know, pre-buying it, and that was when Chicago wasn't uh, disintegrating before our very eyes, or not yet, at least. So now um, it's been a hole for the, just like a hole where they had started to dig the foundation for the last decade plus. So now the news is that uh, uh, Related Midwest has gotten $500 million in financing for the former Chicago Spire, Fordham Chicago Spire site. And uh, our mayor, uh, BLM Brandon Johnson, Pretty excited about it because it's going to unite Lakeshore with the with, uh, Lakeshore Drive and uh, and Lake Michigan with the Riverwalk, add green space and and earmark hundreds of units for Chicagoans making less than fifty percent of the area media income. Great. Who's going to pay for it? Well, right. I mean, it's sort of a up, a, you know, sort of next uh, next level up public housing project at a certain point yes and we're seeing similar conversations in new york and the question is who is going to pay for it because you cannot tax individual apartment owners or tenants uh, enough to cover the operating costs for the city that's the issue you need business but if you chase all the business people to indiana in your case 
well, who's going to pay for it? <laughs> and we have the same problem here in New York. We've chased everybody out. We said they're the enemy, and they've laughed. They're building developments in Texas and the Carolinas and everything else. And meanwhile, there's no way for New York to address their housing issues because they've told all the capital, no, leave, we don't like you anymore. So it's, it's great stuff. And they don't even want Trump's business. Yeah, but they don't even want Trump's business anymore, which is, I mean, no, that's they okay. changed a lot to, to get go after him. It just makes me crazy. Yeah, but these, these states are going to end up looking like Eastern Europe in the 1960s. That's where we're going to be because they won't have any capital and they will be consuming capital in order to keep those nice people in those apartments. The city will go bust Mm -hmm. is what's going to happen. They Mm. won't have the tax base to maintain services. We've seen that in, remember? Already happening. Flint. Flint. Think about Flint on a larger scale. Well, think about Detroit on a larger scale. Detroit on a larger scale. Yeah. How's How's that Detroit Renaissance coming along? Um, <laughs> well, it's organic we are, farming. We are living through a silly time because when the Fed messed with interest rates, it wasn't about economics, it was about politics. Mm-hmm. And when you tell people things are free and have no cost, they go out and do stupid things. And that's that's what we've seen. Uh, by the by, the way, uh, an alert texter, Calatrava is the architect for the original Fordham Spire, and he's from Santiago, Chile, not Argentina, so... I, I stand corrected. Better. Yeah, better. yeah, Dan, yeah, get it right. Good. Well, look, right. look at Argentina. Argentina probably has the most with it, you know, conservative leader in the world, yep. and he's yeah. got a country that is bankrupt. He wants to dollarize the whole thing. Watch that process. It's going to be very painful because that means they've got to push local prices up and up and up, and then they're going to convert the dollars one day. Well, he's got it right. Uh, Mele did it at uh, the World Economic Forum. The government is yeah. the problem. The state is the problem. Ronald, he's channeling Ronald Reagan. I love it. Uh, so do I. You know, once he gets through that dollarization, the people that left Chicago for Florida or Arizona may be on and their way to Argentina next. Uh, well, Christopher, look, Much of the rest of the region is de facto dollarized. Across the border in Uruguay, everything is yeah. indexed to dollars, even in local currency. So... Real estate transactions, anything large, imports, exports, it's all done in dollars. Chris Whalen's investment banker, chairman of the Whalen Global Advisors, author of the book Ford Men from Inspiration to Enterprise, and editor for the Institutional Risk Analyst. Chris, thanks as always. Have a great day, guys. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Uh, per our discussion about EVs, I just got a note oh, from uh, a friend of ours in the car business. Uh, he got an email, $20 million in uh, EVs. Avis is trying to unload as well. Oh, so it's not see? just not just Hertz. Hertz. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, when you combine Marxism with weird science, there's no telling what you can accomplish. We got to do a little bit of a COVID hunk here. It's been a minute. And there's some updates that are, are relevant. You know, just the end of humanity. <laughs> At uh, the uh, World Economic Forum there in Davos, there was a deep discussion about disease X. What is it? Well, no, no, no. What is it, Dan? Dun, dun, dun. dun. Sounds sinister. Know. 
I don't know what it is, but the World Health Organization, brought to you by the Chinese Communist Party, said the world could face a pandemic 20 times worse than COVID-19 in the future. They're calling it Disease X, and they're working on it. They'll let you know when they've got it figured out. 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment, Dr. Dan Prop. what are the symptoms? What do I have to look out for? It's uh, made up. They're still working on oh, they're how, still- they're working on how they're going to kill you. So I'll, we'll <laughs> let you know when they're ready. It's uh, a hypothetical pathogen Oh, that's well, being used to plan for future health crises because these uh, global... Health, public Sick health place. leaders are so forward-looking. Um, preparing for Disease X was the name of the uh, panel discussion in uh, Davos that was actually coined some six years ago. Uh, scientists say that uh, the most likely culprit for Disease X would be a respiratory virus, possibly one already circulating in animals that hasn't yet made the jump to humans. Look out for those pangolins again. Don't do dirty things with animals. Watch your wet markets, people. Come on. All right. Well, so that's the, so you say, well, that's hypothetical. What are you talking about? Well, there are top men working on this. Top, top men. In a Wuhan study, Chinese scientists are experimenting with a mutant COVID-19 strain that is 100% lethal to humanized mice. What is a humanized mouse? I don't even know. A resident of Hinsdale? Ayo. Thank you. Uh, the deadly virus that uh, we're probably underwriting the production of. <laughs> you know, you know, the NIH likes to subsidize these mad scientists. The deadly virus known as GXP2V attacked the brains of mice that were engineered to reflect genetic makeup similar to people. Hmm. This is, you know, this is out of Beijing, by the way. Of course it is. The underscore uh, this under this the study of these humanized mice with this mutant COVID nineteen strain. The under uh, this is the top line. The uh, under this underscores the results. The mice being killed uh, a spillover risk of GXP two V into humans and provides a unique model for understanding the pathogenic mechanisms of SARS CoV two related viruses. Thank you. All the mice that were infected with the virus died within just eight days. That was a surprisingly rapid death rate, according to the Chinese Communist Party. Infected the lungs, bones, eyes, tracheas, and brains of the dead mice, the last of which was severe enough to ultimately cause the death of the animals. Wow, sounds terrifying, doesn't it? Right up until you talk to some experts. Francois Ballot, an epidemiology at University College London, called the research terrible and scientifically pointless. Uh, a pretty well-respected chemistry and uh, chemical biology professor at Rutgers, we've talked about before, we talked about during COVID, actually. Richard Ebright said, uh, I concur. Dr. Gennady Galinsky, a retired professor of medicine at Stanford, wrote, this madness must be stopped before it's too late. You can't stop the Chinese communists, particularly when they've got American financing. Uh, no ties to the Wuhan Institute for of Virology. It's, this is coming from the central office in Beijing. Just thought I'd let you know so you can assume the position. You know, assume crash position at this point. <laughs> this is incredible. Uh, all right, one other matter I'd like to yes. get to on the COVID. Um, you know how there was this uh, question about uh, uh, big pharma companies, health insurers, 
and health insurers, uh, uh, well, uh, you know, bribing is such an ugly word, incentivizing uh, doctors uh, and hospital presidents and so forth to push the vax on everybody and anybody, regardless of what their actual views were about its effectiveness and and perhaps the textured views about its relevance to the young as compared to the old and so forth. Well, um, we've got some information, some new information about this, thanks to the work of some Republicans in Congress, like Tom Massey from Kentucky, as well as this uh, uh, COVID sub, uh, special COVID committee that's been set up by a House Republican caucus to look at what happened, to do the postmortem that otherwise wouldn't get done. Listen to this from... Uh, uh, Massey posted this. Uh, this is a, uh, a screenshot of the one-page Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield COVID-19 Vaccine Provider Incentive Program. Uh, here's how you can qualify for a bonus. If, you pra- if your practice meets the below thresholds for vaccination with at least one dose by September 1st of 2021, you'll receive the initial incentive payment based on the following rates. 30% of Anthem members vaccinated, twenty uh, $20 bonus per vaccinated member. If you get to 40% of Anthem members vaccinated, yeah. $45 bonus per, vaccinate, per vaccinated person, member. 50%, 70 bucks. 60%, 100 bucks a person. 75%, 125 bucks a person. I wonder and if then, there's still COVID or there's vaccine mandates still going on. I mean, that's real money. But what's wrong with the government when they have to pay you to take a shot? Well, this is a health insurance company. I mean, it's health insurance. Well, still. I mean, I mean they're quasi-government. Government. Yeah. <laughs> the fine, and then there was another. Between uh, t- September 1st of 2021 and the end of 2021, again, if you get 30% of your Anthem members vaccinated, $100 per person, 40%, 150 50%, $170. So this, and there's no distinctions here. It wasn't using your judgment. It wasn't case-by-case basis. It was just get the numbers. Just stick the jabs in people's arms. Tell them they have to have it. And if you uh, don't, well, no bonus for you. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also contact us on our text line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Uh, here is a um, a practitioner who testified before that subcommittee uh, I'm, I'm talking about in the House, that House subcommittee on, on coronavirus. Uh, this is a, a pediatrician who, um, uh, pedi- pediatric cardiologist actually, talked about what the environment was like. This is doc- Dr. Kirk Milhone, and he addressed what exactly Tom Massey provided evidence of that was that was being done by Anthem, and I, and you know you would expect other health insurers as well. Uh, here's what uh, Dr. Kirk Milhone, pediatric cardiologist, had to say. And I think it's so multifaceted, but I wanted to take it from the physicians, sort of this new corporatization of America, um, and there was there's a carrot and a stick. The carrot is is if you get enough of your panel vaccinated you get a bonus if you don't you don't get the bonus that's all throughout when that came out i'd never heard about that as a pediatrician before i i told people that doesn't occur there's no way that happens pediatricians don't do this then i heard that if they had enough they got a forty thousand dollar bonus what 
what? And then if you speak out and you don't do it and you don't know because of the electronic medical record, they know everything that's going on and you have the green light or the red light and all these kinds of things. Everyone knows that the practice, the practice governors know what's going on. And so if there are incentives that are even beyond the doctor to doctor, but into corporate medicine, that's a pretty big carrot, but there's also a stick is that if you speak out about this, you, you venture to say, I don't, I, you know, this, I mean, whenever, whenever in medicine was I told what I could say what should be exempted, you could only exempt this vaccine for this. No, I've exe exempted so many kids for a vaccine. Oh, you had a bad reaction to that? Okay, I'm never going to give that to you. This is basic. Never in our history were doctors limited on what we could exempt if we said, this is bad for our patient. You can't say that, and if you say it, you're gone. So that's that. The other part is, is what you were speaking to, Congressman Davidson, is the issue of when the doctors wake up and they realize the data were there and they caused harm to their patient, there's concern, am I liable now because I ignored the data and if now I insisted and I told them, and maybe I didn't give them informed consent, maybe, maybe I didn't tell them of the specific numbers of myocarditis we know occur. Maybe I forced a person who was completely healthy, who had no risk to get something that had a true known risk. Maybe some of this is just like, I, I don't, I, I can't say this vaccine is wrong now because now I have to own all the ones when I said it was right, when the data were there and I ignored it. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. So many examples of this. I cannot acknowledge what occurred because I can't bring myself to admit what I've done or what I was part of doing. So much contrition on his part. That's what he was. That's yeah. what he's talking about. And so now, you know, so now one uh, act of treachery, one moment of weakness in the face of pressure from corporate overlords and the money on the line, forces um, more skullduggerous conduct, doesn't it? And so I'm thinking about, you know, as you're listening to that pediatric cardiologist talk about how things were so different with the vaccination than they were in any other time in the practice of medicine. I think, well, um, now, you know, why don't we have any sort of uh, pouring over the uh, VAERS data about vaccine injuries? Why don't we ever seem to be able to get to the bottom of these curious hashtag died suddenly events from healthy young people that are athletes that were when most remember most athletes were forced to take the vaccine if in order to play sometimes at home games and also at away games too it, they were it, pressured it, more than any group so it, it happens but but the point is so the the point is you don't know so you know, in a specific case, this is these are all obviously individually specific. So you don't know. 
you see what appears to be a heightened incidence of this. You say, well, maybe it's just there's more attention being paid. There's more reporting on events like this. Mm-hmm. And there's no interest in determining what is true and not true. Because what if it could be determined that people were being paid, were incentivized by health insurance companies, by pharma companies, to give the vaccination. They wouldn't have otherwise done it. It wasn't necessary. They understood, as the you heard from that Dr. Milhone, they understood it wasn't in my patient's best interest. But we have to meet the goals to make the uh, to to get those incentive payments. And if I protest, I'm gone. Yeah, they were heavily censored during the pandemic because they didn't tow the company line. And I'm just so grateful. My mom's doctor said, no, we're done. You're not taking no more boosters. You're not. Because the last one she got, she was violently ill. And they're like, you know what? You have a heart condition, too. And we're, we're looking at these VARS, VARS, VARS report. And no. So if you have a good doctor <laughs> that is informed, stay with that doctor. Because now what, we're on our eighth shot, guys. Yeah, yeah, think more globally about what this has done oh. to the medical profession, to the trust relationship you have with doctors, with health insurance providers, and so forth. Think what this has done and think what else could be done if more of the unanswered questions start getting answered definitively. Jane in Rockford. Hi, Dan and Amy. Thank you so much. You've said everything that I've said for the last four years, and it just disgusts me. Um, I work for a health system that, um, you know, put the mandates in place, obviously. And if you didn't want to get the vaccine, they'd accepted no religious exemptions. And then they made those of us who refused the vaccine, if we wanted to keep our jobs, we had to pay into a pool, a risk pool, because we were not vaccinated to keep our jobs. It started out, what we threw a fit, it was going to be based on what your income was. So the highest level that you were going to have to pay, depending on what you made, $260 a month to keep your job to not be vaccinated. Mm. They they scaled it back and made it be $60 a month, but still. So for eight months, roughly, we had to pay this fine every month to to maintain our, you know, exemption whatever you want to call it. And I have said this from the beginning, that somebody is making money. There's no reason why they are forcing people to take this vaccine. We've never done this before. And it's just, I I hope to God, it it has totally um, eroded my faith. And I work in healthcare and I don't trust any doctor anymore. It's disgusting. Thanks for the call, Jane. Appreciate that perspective. I mean, it's what Dr. Uh, Milhone, that pediatric cardiologist Mm -hmm. said, there was the carrot and there was the stick. That was part of the stick, too. That's incentive. It's, you know, it's the other side of the coin. We'll pay you to do this, and we'll punish you if you don't. Gabby Schomburg. Hi. Good morning, guys. I just wanted to say it doesn't stop at the vaccine for COVID. It goes on to many other chronic illnesses that they push these prescriptions on us, and they get financial incentives. And I have a chronic condition, and I refuse to take the medicines. Once I did my own research, I'm glad I never got vaccinated. I never intend to get vaccinated or boosted. Lost some friendships over it. People thought we were crazy. Um, but that being said, you have to be your own healthcare advocate. Do your research and don't discount uh, things that we can, the foods we consume that harm us, um, et cetera. Take your supplements. Take your balance of nature. 
And uh, that's it. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Gabby. Thanks for the balance of nature. Yeah, nice. Plug. Nice, uh, nice uh, embedded plug there. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. And Amy, uh, big news yesterday, which we discussed a bit earlier in the program, is the rallying around Texas Governor Greg Abbott by Republican governors from across the country. Now, two dozen standing with Greg Abbott, saying he has every right to provide protection for his residents. We would do the same. And it is an abdication of uh, President Biden's shall protect constitutional responsibility article 4 section 4 that has precipitated this moment and christy Nome, the governor of south dakota she's willing to drive down and uh, pitch in governor abbott has done the exact right thing and i'll drive him more razor wire from south dakota if i have to for him to do his job what people forget is that governors are commanders in chief we're responsible for the men and women of our National Guard. It's a heavy responsibility that weighs on our shoulders. And so we never engage our National Guard soldiers and those men and women unless it's incredibly important and if we feel that we have the constitutional authority to do that in this situation. Over two years ago, I declared it a war zone at the southern border, just how it was impacting South Dakota. My guard has been down there on multiple deployments supporting the Texas National Guard. Our border patrol agents do not support what President Biden is doing. Our ICE people on the ground do not support what President Biden is doing. Democrats in this country do not support what President Biden is doing at the southern border. And they disagree with him fundamentally. He's so out of touch. He is remaking this country. We will be Europe. Within a year or two, if we allow President Biden to continue this invasion of our country, over six million people have come here illegally. It is time to stand our ground, and we'll be down there standing shoulder to shoulder with Governor Abbott. Ooh. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt said the same. We'll be in contact with Governor Abbott to uh, provide whatever he needs, including personnel. The other news related, 10 former FBI executives, some who oversaw the Bureau's intelligence, counterterrorism, criminal and training operations, uh, sent a letter dated January 17th to House Speaker Mike Johnson and Senate Majority Leader Pagliacci Schumer, as well as the Chairman of Intel and Homeland Security Committees in the House and the Senate, that, uh, in my, and this is part of what it read, what, what uh, the letter contained, quote, in its modern history, the U.S. has never suffered an invasion of the homeland, and yet one is unfolding now. Military-aged men from across the globe, many from countries or regions not friendly to the United States, are landing in waves on our soil by the thousands, not by splashing ashore from a ship or parachuting from a plane, but rather by foot across a border that has been accurately advertised around the world as largely unprotected with ready access granted. It would be difficult to overstate the danger represented by the presence inside our borders of what is comparatively a multi-division army of young single adult males from hostile nations and regions whose background, intent, or allegiance is completely unknown. So um, all those um, uh, leftists with a newfound love of the FBI when they're targeting Trump, what say you to these experts in law enforcement and national security? Hmm... For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by John Hinderaker, who is the president of the Center of the American Experiment, contributor to Powerline, powerlineblog.com. John, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great to be with you, Dan. 
Um, boy, the uh, rallying around uh, Governor Abbott that's happening uh, sort of by inference with that letter from those former FBI executives, you know, brass, uh, and, and, and then literally by explicitly by his fellow governors from across the nation. We're, we're getting to a real moment here as that uh, case that he is pursuing uh, was returned to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals for a full hearing. We could be heading here for a constitutional crisis, Dan. Um, Greg Abbott has taken a very strong stand. You know, he lost that case 5-4 in the U.S. Supreme Court. They didn't write an opinion, but they overturned the appellate court order that uh, barred the feds from doing away with the wire that Greg Abbott in Texas had put up at the border. So at least uh, as best you can interpret it, uh, the Supreme Court seemed to be going with the view that immigration is a federal prerogative and I, uh, the states I, I don't think I don't think so. I, I mean I think that's I think that's too aggressive a read because all they did was lift an injunction. And you know the, the and even Abbott says, you know, the 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 record of the case we don't know, and Abbott's a lawyer, we don't know that if the record of the case is pretty thin. They returned to the Fifth Circuit and he, you know, articulated his Article Four, Section Four, Article One, Section Ten argument which I think is a pretty compelling one. I, I'm not so sure when the case gets a full airing at the Fifth Circuit and ultimately makes its way to the Supreme Court that Amy Coney Barrett is going to be where she was on lifting the injunction. Well, Dan, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But the reality is that uh, Texas is not backing down. You know, Greg Abbott uh, put out that statement. He included citations to a couple of constitutional provisions. I think he makes a strong case, but what's really striking, and frankly, in my mind, what's stirring is the way these Republican governors have lined up behind the state of Texas, one after another. Yeah. It was all over Twitter yesterday, and the Republican Governors Association has now unanimously endorsed Texas's stand here. So, you know, we the chips are being pushed into the middle of the table, and, and we could see a really important uh, ruling at some point here out of the Supreme Court. And I hope you're right. I hope at the end of the day, they say that when the federal government has abdicated its constitutional responsibilities, and we have President Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden is a scofflaw, right? The central duty of the president under Article 2 of the Constitution is to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. That is what it means to be the chief executive. Joe Biden has not faithfully executed the immigration laws. On the contrary, he's done everything he can to subvert them and to negate them. Now, that's, in my opinion, that's an impeachable offense. Mm. Yeah, but in the meantime, you know, when you've got a president that just abdicates his, his duties uh, under, this, uh, under Article 2 and also, as you point out, under Article 4, that, that, that just cannot leave the states helpless. And so I think we're, we're moving here toward a, a pivotal moment. Well, do you think that Biden's going to want that look? I mean, federalizing a state's National Guard. He ignored the, the issue for three years, and then they come down and they take over the Texas Rangers and the Texas National Guard. They'll have to take over more than that. You know, South Dakota and other states, they're sending their national, they're going to nationalize all the National Guards. I mean, I don't, this is, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. The other thing is, you know, the Democrats want to make the 2024 election all about abortion again, right? It worked in 2022. They have nothing else to run on. Why not give it a try? I think the Republicans need to make the 2024 election all about the border. I think they need to run with one voice. On, on the worst malfeasance, and it's a tough competition, but the worst malfeasance of the Biden administration is the is the open 
southern border. And I think the Democrats are very nervous about this. And for the first time, what was it? Was a day before yesterday, Joe Biden finally said, yeah, we've got a crisis at the southern border. You know, after years of saying, oh, no, it's under control. You know, everything is fine. So, you know, we'll see. Well, Well, they know they have a problem because both Iowa and New Hampshire residents, more than 40 percent, it was the number one issue, immigration, and they're not even close to the border. So I think that's when they realize, oh, my God, we have a problem here. But Biden could say all he wants, but he's not doing anything about it. So. No, and there's powerful constituencies within his party who don't want him to do anything about it. I mean, it's not, you know, the, the problem isn't that, that he's just too feeble and too incompetent to enforce the immigration laws. You know, the reality is he doesn't want to. Um, I want to get your take on uh, the Republican race for president. Is there a race? Kim Strassel, I mean, this is really interesting because I, I normally really like Kim um, and her musings in the Wall Street Journal. But, boy... The 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 uh, those who have um, antipathy for Trump or don't want Trump to become the nominee, they really get themselves all twisted up trying to come up for plausible scenarios in which he is not going to be the nominee. Listen to what she writes and get your reaction, John. The notion this contest is over is absurd. Only four hundred thirty four thousand voters in two states have so far recorded a preference for a a Republican nominee. That's about 1.4% of the 31 million who took part in the 2016 GOP presidential primaries. In the race to secure the 1,215 delegates for the nomination, Trump leads Haley 32 to 17. That Haley number is almost exactly what Trump had after the first two uh, races in 2016, the year he won. So all Kim, uh, Kim Strauss argues is all Haley needs is a rationale for her candidacy, and this is still very winnable. Do you uh, agree with that? Well, in principle, she's right, of course. I mean, hardly any delegates have been chosen. But the real takeaway, I think, from Iowa and New Hampshire is that the polls were right. You know, primary polling is volatile, unpredictable, um, and, and, and a front runner can drop out very rapidly. We've seen that happen many times. The problem is it didn't happen here. And it didn't happen in Iowa. It didn't happen in New Hampshire. And and it's pretty obvious, looking at the polls, that it's pretty obvious everybody understands who Donald Trump is. You know, he's not some some guy that just kind of came along in the primary process that a bunch of people said, oh, I sort of like that guy. You know, he gave a good speech. He's a known commodity. And uh, I think the chance that – and Nikki Haley has got problems, too. You know, m- much of the Republican Party views her as a corporatist, a globalist. You know, um, uh, and and, and I, I don't think she's that appealing a candidate uh, in the first place uh, for, for many Republicans. But I, I, I agree with you, Dan. I think it's all over but the shouting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so it's it's I mean, again, I really like Kim Strauss and she's sharp. She's a good writer. But I mean, the idea of like not looking at what the full landscape is telling you right on to South Carolina, says Nikki Haley in New Hampshire, where I'm down 40 points. Right. She's um, going to get clobbered in South Carolina. <laughs> I, mean, I know it. I know she's it. not even going to participate in Nevada's caucus. And, the, and, the, 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 the only caveat there, Dad, is that we do have quite a long time to go as politics yeah, goes. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Trump could have a health crisis. He could get over by a bus. Wow. All these legal <laughs> yeah. proceedings. Yeah, but no, if he does, true. people that suspended their campaigns can get right back in it. Well, well but the, the other thing, too, is just, I mean, the arguments that are being made on behalf of someone other than Trump, like all DeSantis, I mean, that's sort of what they were saying about DeSantis to some extent, although he has a much more robust record. But 
like for Kim Strauss to argue at this point, all Nikki Haley has to do is come up with a rationale for her candidacy. I mean, I mean it was a little late, late in the game that. for that. Yeah, right. It's a little late. Well, you know, look, I mean, the party, you can divide the party into pro-Trump and anti-Trump. Those lines have been drawn a long time ago, right? And, and it's obvious that the large majority of the Republican Party is pro-Trump. And so, you know, I was just starting to say that there, there's a whole bunch of, of events that may take place over the next few months in the various legal proceedings surrounding Donald Trump, including a Supreme Court ruling, of course, on whether he's barred by, by the 14th Amendment for being on the, well, on the yeah. ballot. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of those, I, I don't think there's going to be, looking at the timeline, any really major, major events between now and, and the conventions. But in any event, most Republicans take these prosecutions by the Democrats as a badge of honor. And so, so there, too, you know, there, there may be some developments, but I don't think they're going to be very significant. Yeah, I mean, as, as, I, I think this is almost the case in the general election, assuming it's the rematch that it, we anticipate, uh, Trump and Biden. But a, particularly in the primary, it's like um, – it's sort of like uh, Bill Belichick having to have a second interview with the Falcons. What exactly do you need to know about Bill Belichick in a second interview? Right. What exactly what exactly is new about uh, Donald Trump's position on this or that? Or, and even Nikki Haley at this point in the whole, as you said, the whole pro-Trump, anti-Trump uh, schism. I mean, you know, this is all sort of already been baked in, hasn't it? Well, I think it has. It isn't even Trump's position so much as it is. In fact, it's really not his positions at all. You know, it's his, it's his personality, his tangled history, his character. Yeah, right. Everybody knows about those things, you know, and, 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 the, and the general election public uh, may care. You know, I'm not saying that they're not issues against Joe Biden. They are. But the Republicans all know about them and they're voting for Trump anyway. Um, I want to run this uh, pet idea I've been pitching uh, all week by you. See what you think. Um, you, you, you can't going back to the border issue and particularly Abbott and the busing and the training and the flying of people, you know, to make every state a border state, as we all know. So you're not going to move the Pritzkers and Brandon Johnson's, the Hochul's and the. Uh, Eric Adams, you're not going to move them on this. They're, they're not changing their position on sanctuary city and state designations. They're just playing the money game. You know, so the cities say, I need more money from the state. The states say, we need more money from the feds. The feds say, we got to print more money to send to the states and the, and the cities. I mean, that's all they care about. I mean, we have, you know, Democrats are calling this a housing crisis, not a border security crisis. So, <laughs> like so, 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 so who can you move and who can you make sure you get in line uh, and it's Republicans like those that are trying to negotiate a surrender uh, in the Senate, McConnell and Lankford, and also send a message to the country. Say, look, we are going to, um, you know, visit upon anyone, Republican or Democrat, the consequences of promoting lawlessness at the border, promoting open borders. So why not ask Greg Abbott to send a few buses to Lexington to Mitch McConnell's office to Tulsa to Jim Lankford's office and uh, and and I mean you know create that I mean th- th- you know those guys are anti Trump especially McConnell anti Trump anyway they're going to seek to undermine him why not take the the mantle here since he's effectively been given the nod as the nominee as we were discussing and um, demonstrate some post partisan principled leadership. 
Well, um, I'm fine with that, first of all. I mean, the more places they said buses to, the better. Um, You know, Republicans have got a real talent for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And the last thing they should be doing is taking the Democrats off the hook on this issue with some kind of a legislative compromise. We all know how legislative compromises on immigration have turned out. You know, the only thing to do, uh, you know, the, the vast majority of the American people are with us on this issue, and they have been. They have been all along. But the issue has now risen to number one in the priorities of the American people, not just Republicans, but independents and even a lot of Democrats. And and you're right, the Democratic governors are not getting a Pritzker at all. They're not going to change their minds and get, get rational. We just have to thrash them at the polls. And in November of 2024, if the Republicans make that election about illegal immigration, it is going to be a huge year for the Republicans. And among other things, we're going to see Donald Trump back in the White House. John Hinderaker is the president of the Center of the American Experiment, contributor to Powerline, powerlineblog.com. John, thank you as always. Great to be with you, Dan. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, tall and wide. Tall and wide. That's what the... Uh, Pritzker well, story. What, you so tall? Oh, not tall. Yeah, that's just wide. Okay. Tall and wide. <laughs> Excuse uh, me. Is... Um, the name of your new band? No, but it is a sort of a handle on the border wall from a bygone era. It's being uh, resuscitated by Chris Clem who's a retired chief patrol agent who served as a U.S. Border Patrol agent for 27 years. Tall and wide is what he says about the wall, the border barrier that's, border barriers that uh, should be erected. Chris Clem joins us now. Chris, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me on. So um, tell us what tall and wide means. Yeah, no, uh, again, it's, it's my way of kind of explaining how we should look at secure our nation's border. We should be a nation of tall fences and wide gates. And tall tall fences is exactly that in some places. That's a border barrier, a wall, a fence, whatever you want to call it. But we need it in locations throughout our southern border, uh, mainly in urban areas where people that uh, cross can vanish into cities, into our neighborhoods, into like the El Paso, the schools, within seconds to minutes. And so we need something to impede, deny, or contain those mass entries and and the wide gates is our lawful pathways our ports of entry the legal pathways for people to come to the united states who want to come to the united states and it's an opportunity for us to control and determine who and what and and why they're coming in and i think that's just a reasonable approach it's something that's resonated with me for the past 15 years and uh uh and then that's what i'm speaking about in that op-ed because i've seen it work and um and it's successful when we implement the entire strategy. And, and one last thing is when I say the wall, and it's in the mentioned in that op-ed, is it was a wall system. That's what, what Border Patrol agents had required. And, and, and a wall where it makes sense, lights where it makes sense, access roads, technology in the form of cameras, sensors, that is a wall system for us. And so 
we need that uh, from the border security piece, and we need we need the legislators and, and the people in, in, in charge to uh, to make some common sense approaches to those wide gates to make sure that we bring in what we need here and uh, to make uh, this country uh, uh, continue to be great. Well, how many gotaways do you think that there actually are? I mean, I know they say that oh. anywhere from six to nine million, which is a big difference, are here, but then we have gotaways. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, for for your listeners and everybody, uh, you know, tuning in, a gotaway is some somebody that we have determined that has made an illegal entry, but we were never able to resolve that. So those are documented known gotaways. We've either seen their footprints, we we detect them on camera, we saw them, we just never caught them. I know that the, the numbers are uh, uh, close to two million over the last three years, um, and that's again what we what we know. There is always that unknown factor because there are times, especially in the last few years, where we've just had these this mass amount of humanity, which is controlled by the, the south side of the border, the cartels, where they're going to go so they can push their groups through. So if we documented 1.7 million gotaways over the last few years, uh, I would say that those the numbers are a little bit higher because there's those areas across the border that we didn't even get a chance to go out there to look um, because it's been so busy. Um, I, to throw a number out there, I wouldn't know. I would just tell you that uh, – it's going to be higher than the 1.7 that we've documented over the last few years. Um, the uh, topography along our 1,800 miles of border, you know, you t- you uh, wrote in your piece about that, too, just sort of reminding people that uh, you've got uh, lots of different types of landscape, uh, suburban, urban, rural, mountainous, um, you know, and, and so that requires a uh, a correspondingly layered approach to the technology that's used to the deployment of personnel. Uh, speak to that a bit, if you would. Yeah, that's great. So the Border Patrol, again, Border Patrol, the agents, the chiefs, you know, we've determined that there are three known operating environments. Urban environments where, as I mentioned, people can vanish within seconds to minutes. Rural environments where it takes minutes to hours for somebody to get to a vanishing point. It could be a highway, a, a neighborhood or something. And then you have the remote areas where it literally can take uh, hours to days. I've worked in areas of New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, where you know people will cross and they'll walk three or four days or more to get to a highway. So in those situations, you know, I don't need a wall in the middle of nowhere where somebody is going to take them five or six days to get to an interstate. I need technology and I need agents out there. Uh, technology could be cameras. It could be drones. It could be sensor equipment, but it doesn't need to be a 30-foot uh, tall uh, fence. Big Bend in Texas is a, is a great example. There are literally cliffs that are two or 300 feet high that no one's ever climbed. We don't need a wall there on top of that. But in an urban area like El Paso where they can disappear in seconds, we need to have you know a fencing there. And in some some areas, let, let's let the uh, – it always let – me, let me go back and say this. Always let the local border patrol, you know, let their leadership and the agents on the ground, let them dictate those requirements in concert with the uh, with the community and the areas there. Because, you know, look, you don't want to disrupt, uh, you know, certain activities that are going on uh, in the ranching community because, hey, there's areas where we have to put the fence, you know, a, a half mile or further off the border. And that gets into people's property. So a little coordination there, but let the border patrol just make those decisions. We don't need uh, – Bureaucrats and legislators in Washington, D.C. determining what we need to, to secure the border. They just need to support us uh, where it makes sense. Well, what do you make of Governor Abbott? He's asking ranchers and farmers to grab some razor wire and put it, help put it up, the barrier. Well, you know what? Uh, well, I, you know, it's, it's a shame that we've gotten to that point. I'll, I'll, I'll preface my comments that way. 
But uh, look, I did this for 27 and a half years. I started off as a young agent, uh, went all the way through the, the ranks, uh, a career employee up into the senior executive uh, uh, service. And I've never seen just a complete, you know, ignoring of the, the problem like we've had the last few years. And so states have had to step up and Texas is, uh, is, is not going to relent. Um, I can tell you that, um, that the relationship on the ground is great with the, uh, with the uh, state of Texas and the Border Patrol. Um, it becomes more of a political uh, battle between the governor and the, and the White House, and that's what uh, gets spun around. But I can assure you that the, the troopers, the deputies, the National Guardmen, the Border Patrol on the ground, and they're all working together to try to do their job, uh, even with all the distractions. Um, Texas has a lot of is mainly private land out there and, 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 and state land. So governor's got to do what the governor's got to do. Um, the Supreme Court made a decision that, that the Border Patrol agents can do what they need, which I think is a good ruling because it still gives authorities to the executive branch, which is constitutionally right. Just uh, it's just a problem that's unfortunate that uh, that the uh, the U.S. government and this administration is not supporting what the states need, and they can disagree. But you know what? There's a lot of things going on down there that uh, the federal government could fix tomorrow if they would. And uh, you know, the governor's got a got a good relationship with his people, so yeah, I got to trust that local judgment, not 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 from where I live. Did you um, find the the Biden offer of? Uh... Six billion dollars for a border security, hiring more agents, and so on and so forth. Do, do you find that uh, disingenuous at all, or do you think that would be uh, yeah. particularly helpful? No, uh, I can tell you the, the problem is the truths and uh, details and the details, right? So I think the proposal was like fourteen billion dollars for border security, at least one of the initial proposals coming out of the White House. But it was all about uh, processing efficiencies. It was about technology for processing. Uh, the vice president recently said her uh, the solution is to be able to process these people more efficiently. There was nothing about securing the border and stopping this from this, this uh, group of these people coming in illegally. See, that's the problem is he's throwing money out there to give more agents. Okay, 1,300 agents. Well, we're still – we asked for three to 5,000 agents in the year before last. We got 300. That didn't keep up with attrition. So another 1,300 is still below the, the mark that we need. And, again, everything – that you, if you read the details, they'll say that they, you know they won't pass this bill. The president's putting all this money up. It is not about securing the border uh, in, in the conventional way, like the agency, like fill the gaps where the wall stopped, put the technology up. It is about processing. Let me just put it this way: it's about giving more buckets to bail out the water and not fixing the leak. That's what that. that this is what that bill is, and I've read that and I've seen that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just it's disingenuous at best. Uh, explain the um, process that that the process that they keep referring to, and you know, making the processing more efficient and so forth. But the the border patrol agents' role and in sort of what the reality is in terms of um, uh, dealing with asylum seekers uh, in in. You know, and sort of as the, as part of the the justice system, if you will, the uh, immigration judges as well. Just how border agents fit in between those coming into this country and the uh, sort of the larger infrastructure that deals with that. Yeah, great, great question and, and great uh, uh, ask here. So, a border patrol's responsibility, our agents' responsibility, is to 
patrol and control anything and everyone that comes in between the lawful ports of entry. When you come in between the ports of entry, not the, that is an illegal entry, and it's our job to interdict, apprehend, process you, and then turn you over to the next phase of, of an immigration enforcement continuum. That would be, in most cases, uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, ICE. If it was a drug-related case, we would you know, turn you over to the DEA. If it prosecute, we would work with the marshals and go through the court system. But in most cases, when they're administrative cases, in other words, we're not going to criminally prosecute you, they go through removal proceedings. Well, when there's Border Patrol will take you into custody, we will process you to get you in front of an immigration judge um, to to determine if you're allowed to stay or go. The problem is you're supposed to be detained for that process, and there's been so many people that have come in this country the last few years. We can't detain people, and when when people you you hear the term asylum seekers, I can tell you. The 310,000 people that I caught in, in uh, 2022 when I was chief in Yuma, none of them claimed asylum. What it is is there's two, two ways to claim asylum. There's a, an affirmative claim where you a, a file for an asylum, and there's a defensive claim. When you get ordered removed, you have a defense to say, I'd like to stay because I have fear of return, and that falls under an asylum claim. That gives them a, a several bites at the apple. Well, when when the system has been so overwhelmed and there's not enough judges, you have people that their initial court cases to determine their defensive claim of asylum are three, four, and sometimes seven years out. So those folks get processed. There's no room to detain them. They get released into the communities, and the expectation is they're going to check in, and then they're going to show up for their initial hearing, which is, you know, like I said, several years down the road. So the judges come into play. If we could have expeditious hearings we can give these uh these migrants who come in you know let them know because i believe believe clear is kind if we can send a very clear message you get to stay or you don't get to stay but but having somebody stay here for several years before they even get their hearing is is unacceptable uh we wouldn't do that in really any other arena in our world why are we doing this with these migrants it just continues this human exploitation that are these policies coming out of washington are are, uh, are doing because these people have been through so much. So many of them are already victims of trafficking. They don't even realize it. Mm. And then they're going to be here for three, four, five years before a hearing to turn if they get to stay. It's, it's really kind of uh, unfortunate that we've gotten to this situation and uh, it doesn't look like anything's going to change uh, anytime soon uh, based on all the things I'm seeing and, and reading. Chris Clem, retired chief patrol agent, served as a U.S. Border Patrol agent for 27 years, as he was describing. Chris, thanks so much. Appreciate your insights. You got it. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call it now. Open mic Friday. Yes, it's that time of the week. Open mic Friday. Taking your calls. 312-642-5600. Turnkey.pro answer line. Comments, compliments, concerns, criticisms, general Crack Pottery will take it all. Open Mic Friday sponsored by Turnkey.pro. And as always, we kick it off with Turnkey.pro founder, David Kolsak. David. Good morning, Dan and Amy. How are you guys? Morning. We're great. Thanks for asking. Well, it certainly looks like there's a party brewing in Texas, right? Not to beat a dead horse on this, but, um, you know, the government uh, didn't like the disruption of illegal immigrants pouring in over the border, so they 
took it all all the way to the Supreme Court where they won 5-4. It's actually a ruling to allow DHS to remove the razor wire, but the point's clear. Texas is not supposed to defend its own border, and they must let DHS cut their razor wire, uh, letting the immigrants come in. But, However, Governor Abbott, as you mentioned earlier several times, he's decided to double down and have the National Guards prevent the feds from cutting into the area. The optics, though, say that Texas should not protect its own borders and the Supreme Court sides with the illegal immigrants over the citizens of Texas. That's what I think we all see. So either the National Guard stands down and allows the feds to do their their thing or the National Guard stands their ground and ignores the Supreme Court order. We're then talking about an armed conflict between state and federal, uh, which is interesting to think about. So along the way, other states have chimed in one after another. So I think the list is up to 25 states now siding with Texas. Um, not thinking Illinois is going to be on that list anytime soon, but Trump's also encouraging states to send their National Guard, which, again, is interesting. Yale University just released a study last week saying the actual number of illegal immigrants in this country is not 11 million, as we've been told for years, but it's more like 22 million or higher. The Democratic Party is now calling for a policy of legalizing all these illegals in the country, and that's essentially granting full citizenship to 22 million illegal people in the country. So in my hometown of Wheeling here, the police and fire board just took a vote to allow these same people who illegally came into the country to be able to serve as policemen and firemen. Um, so get here illegally and help us enforce our laws. That really makes sense. So, um, and I think there might be special bonus points for illegal aliens who are transgender and have gun wielding <laughs> skills, but I'm not really sure about that. But Hey-o. ask yourself, really, who benefits from the U.S. border being open? Democrats shipping in millions of new voters, human trafficking uh human traffickers shipping in slaves and sex slaves so that they can sell U.S. buyers, terrorists infiltrating the U.S. And just generally, there might, might be some good people in there, but you know, there's no logical reason to advocate for open borders other than criminality. But if they grant amnesty or whatever we want to call it, there will be 22 million more voters who historically will vote Democratic. The largest margin of victory was 17 million votes when Reagan was reelected in 84. So if the Democrats get their way, there will be a perpetual state of reelection. <coughs> Pardon me. And they'll have the votes every time. Um, this whole border thing seems to be about putting the Democrats in power forever. So it's good to see the states that are lining up behind to protect Texas's borders. But anyway, it's funny that we could have secured the whole border for something like six billion dollars, you know, years ago. And rather, we'd rather send a hundred billion to Ukraine to help them defend, you know, essentially all the honeypots for the same politicians over here, over there. So much corruption in Ukraine, and we are all seeing it now. But it's really unnerving to watch the blatant disregard for the people. And I think this particular battle at Texas might be something to watch. Or maybe it's just another distraction. Who knows? But it's hard to imagine our federal troops fighting the National Guard. You know, why would who would fight? You know, I would think somebody would back down. You know, the question is, who's going to say uncle first? I hope it would be Texas would prevail. Uh, but nothing would surprise me at this point. Now, Carrie Lake, uh, this is an interesting story in the news this week. Why the wait? She waited 11 months to release the audio recording of her you know, essentially being bribed by the Arizona Republican chair to step aside and, and not run for Senate. You heard about that, right? It's, oh, yeah, it's we played amazing. those tapes twice. Yeah. It's amazing. And if you can get Carrie, you know, past her eating potato chips or whatever, she was like, nom, nom, nom. You know, it's really it's kind of funny to listen to. But anyway. Um, it's a casual that, setting. It was real. She was, you know, having lunch. Oh, yeah, totally. That guy had to step down, as you can imagine, but I'm wondering why she waited so long. She mentioned in a speech, presumably right after that incident, like 11 months ago, um, but no one believed her, and you know, basically her comments were dismissed. But now the audio gets released, and the timing of it, this is very interesting to me, is there might be something more to that disclosure. But clearly, who's ever offering the bribe, the people out east, quote-unquote, these people have money, and they're brazen in their efforts. So 
if you look at all the people who are moved out of the way, most likely for money, Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, Pence, who took the coin after he ratified the 2020 presidential election results. So many people abandoned Trump in the election. And it was a really dark period for those who supported Trump. Everyone was used to hearing him for months, you know, every day. And this huge betrayal at the end in January-ish of 2021, he was silent for months. So anyway, maybe just maybe there's a new band being assembled and Trump's getting smarter at surrounding himself with loyal people instead of turncoats. Carrie Lake's showing us, you know, she's got some stones here and her message is clear that she can't be bought. So when you distill everything down, it always seems to come down to following the money. However, could we be turning the tide? You know, are the Texas border standoff and the Kerry Lake unbribable incident a couple of examples where the will of the people is overcoming greed and power that's been in control? It seems to me that Texas for now is defying the overreach of the federal government and Kerry Lake's doing the same thing in a slightly different manner. But one thing is clear that you can't trust the government, not your state, local or federal. We, the people, need to understand that. And let's see what happens. And let's see if there's some widespread coverage in the news. Uh, but my bet is the good people of this country somehow prevail in all this chaos. And if you're not awake yet, you ought to be. Stay frosty, my friend. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Can I uh, say one thing about one, one comment David made about timing? I think Carrie Lake released those tapes this time because President Trump, or soon to be the nominee, is deciding who his vice presidential pick is. And I think that's a good play to elevate her image and her, I don't know, her fight to beat the establishment. No, you don't think so? I don't think so. Um, I don't don't think it has anything to do with her being the VP because she's not going to be the VP. I also don't think that Trump world was particularly happy with uh, that release. Really? Yeah, I have a pretty good authority that they're not. Um, Part of it is to say, well, um, she obviously recorded that. Right. She knew she was recording it. So, you know, I mean, her side of the conversation, one could say, was, you know, a bit scripted. I mean, she knew what she was doing. Um, That doesn't mean that she's wrong. Uh, Obviously, DeWitt, the state party chairman, came to her. She didn't force him to come to her with this offer from the boys out east. um, And and she didn't script him. So he's responsible for what he did and who he served as an emissary for. Uh, But. Um, he also I mean, worked for Trump, though. DeWitt and him are friends, weren't they? Well, well, that, that's what I understand. But but the other thing is, I mean, if so, if you're talking to Carrie Lake, how can you trust that she's not going to be recording you? Uh. Um, and, you know, in editing things and so on and so forth, I have more to release and the whole, and, you know, which was he was that's what he said in his statement, resigning as state party chairman that, you know, I don't need to deal with this. She's got a bigger megaphone, blah, blah, blah. Po- point is this. The timing of this is only interesting. I mean, I don't know where David was going, but the timing of this is, is makes sense because if she had done it a year and a half after the election, it would have dissipated into the ether. Now she's doing it right into the face of any potential primary challenger that the boys out east would try and put up against her. She's much strengthened her position, uh, certainly among conservatives in Arizona, such that you probably can't take me out in a primary, even if you want to. And as I said before, I mean, this is an opportunity where instead of the the boys out east being antagonistic to the party to which they allegedly affiliate, lean into it, lean into Trump, lean into Carrie Lake. She's in a statistical dead heat with uh, Gallego, the Democrat and and Christine, uh, and even if you include cinema running as an independent, still basically a dead heat between the three. So 
That's the point. But the, this is about her positioning herself in that Senate race. This is not about her positioning herself okay. for VP. Right. I, and then my understanding and estimation. All right. Uh, I want to get something that is not ter- explicitly political, but let's take a few calls first. Oh, no. I want to hear uh, uh, Rick Downers Grove. Hey, good morning, Dan, Amy. I got a question with the thing going on in tax with Greg Abbott and the support of the other, you know, like Republican governors. Do you believe like that push has finally become shoved and that we might be at the high watermark for the invasion? Oh, you mean that it's going to that that uh, yeah. what the federal government is going to be prompted to respond and to start to try to stem the tide? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um. Thanks for the call, Rick. You know, you would think that you would think it would be logical that there would be some action taken by Biden because this is not a winner for him. No, not, you know, not in the short term, at least it's not a winner for him. And even people in his own party are getting antsy. I mean, his constituents are. They don't want this. Some black community doesn't. They're not in control of the Democratic Party, though. Uh, This may be news to Hakeem Jeffries, but they're not. So, you know, black residents to the south side or west side of Chicago or um, New York boroughs, they're not in control of the Democratic Party. It's, you know, the movement Marxists that control the party. So, yeah, you would think you would think that he would try to uh, dull the blade on this issue. But, boy, there's a there's a lot of resistance. I think they still think at this point that they can get away with uh, Republicans walked away from the table for on a bipartisan deal to provide border funding and along with Ukraine. And so I think they still think they can get away with that. And it still, it still was their party line this week, wasn't it? That may change. That may change. Uh, Bob Buffalo Grove. Good morning, Amy and Dan. Always good talking to you and hearing your discussions on the topical issues of the day. Switching topics of most of your discussion on political issues, let me offer the announcement of the Academy Awards. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, Melissa and Joan Rivers. Way way back in in, uh, July, you, I think it was also Amy, uh, Amy noted the uh, new movie Sound of Freedom. After your strong recommendation, I saw it, mm-hmm. and there was also a discussion on uh, how Hollywood would uh, and the media would address um, the movie. Well, the Academy Awards have been announced, and Hollywood ignored it, and also the media. And this week, uh, this week, uh, Hollywood insiders are all upset over Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig not being nominated. <laughs> But what and Ken got a nomination, and they didn't. Hey, Bob, did you see Barbie by any chance? Did you see it? I did. I did. I did, did too. What did you think? <laughs> oh my! Uh, my my friend that I took with to see the movie, she fell asleep. I had to wake her up. It was. Yeah, uh, I, I think it, I think it's. Yeah, I'm sorry, Bob from Buffalo Gove, the uh, the engineer on Barbie. Please give me your review. Hey, but. Uh, uh, but what about Sound of Freedom? They totally ignored it. Why? Why are you not giving me your review? You saw Barbie. That they. But but the, by the way, the uh, most interesting okay, thing. Uh, okay. The most interesting thing about this is that you saw Barbie, Bob. <laughs> so I want your review. Uh, the beginning part was funny. That the opening, 
five minutes or whatever where they ripped off uh, 2001. It was hysterical. And I, I pretty much got bored with it. I mean, the special effects and the uh, 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 set, settings were fine, but... Uh, uh, Too many songs and dance know. routines. But um, getting I'm not exactly Ebert and Siskel between the two of you. But well, anyway, I'm trying to ahead. draw it out of Bob. Bob, why didn't you like the movie? I mean, besides the opening scene. Well, just um, uh, nothing really stood out. You know, playing on you know the um, you know um, they did they did. Uh, it all right, Bob. Gene Shallot, you're not. All right, thanks for the call, Bob. Oh my a, God, you cut no. him off. Yeah, he was working through it. Yeah, well, you saw it, so you've had time to process it now. You didn't just see it but what this morning. The, but what's the, the irony that you have this feminist film about women's rights and then Ken gets a nomination for an Oscar and the head actress and the director get snubbed? Uh, yeah. Oh, um, wow. I mean. Uh, Senator Kankles, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, tweeted out, Greta and Margot. While it can sting to win the box office but not take home the gold, your millions of fans love you. You're both so much more than Kenuff. Oh. Hashtag Hillary Barbie. See, she always has to insert herself. She always has to play the victim. When will they come out with a Hillary Barbie? The, you know what? They should. Octogenarian Kinkles Barbie. I like that. That'll be it, fun. It'll be fun happen. for the for the young girls and... Nikki Haley. And boys who identify as girls. Uh, Matt, Southside. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Real quick, you guys played that clip of Joe Biden and Barack Obama talking about border security mm-hmm. and how they've changed their how they changed their position. I think it has something to do with climate change. I think back uh, since 2007, if I understood the chart right, I think it's gone up uh, 0.2 degrees since then. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Thanks for the call. Right. That's that's right. That the migratory patterns all are all the result of this uh, earth altering climate change. That's yeah part of the argument. You heard it last week in Davos. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess we should not keep the Prime Minister of Ireland waiting any longer. Oh, he's back. Prime Minister Kevin. Oh, oh, it is a great and grand thing, you two. You know, your wonderful mayor told me the other day that the great Milton Friedman, that famed UFC economic fighter, stated you cannot have a welfare state and you cannot have open borders, but you can have both. And after speaking with the boys out east, I ask you, Dan and Amy, to please, Stop questioning the excellent leadership skills of Mayor BLM. Let's go, Brandon and his Johnson. He has great it's leadership Johnson. skills. <laughs> yes, the other day he licensed me all the rights to a world-class motto that I will soon spread on T-shirts and knickknacks and G-Jaws throughout the Emerald Isle. And it is a motto that crafts empowerment to the disadvantaged in society, a rallying cry in the absence of rapper reparations. The motto is, gimme dat. <laughs> yes, thank you very much, Brandon and his Johnson. Uh, yes. Wow. BLM, let's uh, go, Brandon and his Johnson. Oh, that's good. Uh, yes, the Prime Minister was referring to this moment this week. I know folks may have 
questions about my style, but don't question my leadership. No, oh, no, no, you don't. <laughs> don't even look at me. Look, he's no, at home sh- trying to raise a black wife and some black kids. Three black kids who go to charter schools, but we'll get to that. Uh, <sighs> um, charter school. Brad, West Loop. Yeah, I got a, an answer. Um, so there was an interview that Carrie Lake had with Greg Kelly, and he asked her why now. And she said she was recently playing it for her daughter. Or, or I don't think her daughter, she knew her daughter overheard it. And then her daughter says, like, you have to do something about this. And so she said, well, I, I can't. I got to do something now. I got to put it out there. Oh, all right. Thank you for telling us that. Um, yeah. That was okay. important to her. Okay. I mean, okay. Yeah, My daughter made <laughs> me do it, Dan. <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. But that's what she said. Yeah. Her right. daughter Thanks made for the call, Brad. I didn't, I didn't see that. But uh, okay, sure. My daughter made me do it. That's good. It's like my dog ate my homework. My daughter made me do it. No, do anything looked, for our children, Dan. Yes. I looked into the face of this cherub, and I I couldn't disappoint my daughter. I had to. Yeah, okay. All right. Sure. <laughs> That's uh, what they do in their house for family fun. Uh, Listen to secret audio recordings. Don't overplay this hand, Carrie Lake. <laughs> Jordan in Antioch. You're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. A uh, quick question, Dan. For you, maybe you don't know, maybe you don't. Um, the Supreme Court case right now, fifth, fifth Circuit Court day, with the whole thing with Amy Coney Barrett and everything. If she's now with 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 not granting injunctive relief, it kicks it back to the court, right? So mm-hmm. now they proceed with what the case is. Mm-hmm. So in that case, if by the administration is found guilty of dereliction of duty based on uh, Article One or Article 2 and Article uh, 4, that you didn't uphold your oath, right? So they're found in dereliction of duty. Would that not, that means removal of office, correct? For, you're found guilty by the Supreme Court of the United States. It's not a criminal trial. You're not, you're not being found guilty. They're, they're, they, they would issue an opinion on whether or not the state of Texas has the right to defend itself from an invasion per those provisions that we've mentioned and Greg Abbott mentioned, Article 4, right. Section 4, and then Article 1, Section 10, say, yes, in this context, uh, the state of Texas can take action that the federal government isn't taking. Um, so it would be, you know, sort of a constitutional indictment of the policy choices, the abrogation of duty by the Biden administration, you shall protect the states that Supreme Court could hold that. I don't know if they would use language that strong, but it's more. Does the state of Texas have the right to intercede where the federal government has failed for whatever reason to provide for its security? And the Supreme Court weighs in on that decision. Now, the, the, the conviction would be if you get a Supreme Court decision like that, then I think it would be incumbent upon House Republicans to take that and run with it in terms of an impeachment proceeding against President Biden. Okay, that was my that was my question. Thank you. All right, thanks for the call, Jordan. Um, by the way, just on the Hillary Clinton thing, oh, yeah. Uh, Amish Texture just sent this over. I missed this Babylon B story, the paper of record. Babylon B. Hours after Hillary condemns Barbie snub, Oscar statue found dead in apparent suicide. <laughs> B is pretty good Uh, He's the best No Uh, one's better than him, seriously Mark, Western Burbs 
Yeah, hey, Dan and Amy, I just want to remember Christopher Chambers and um, Nathan Ingram. Those were the two SEALs killed mm-hmm. over in the Persian Gulf. And um, you just your last caller talked about dereliction of duty. I think Lloyd Austin and his uh, ilk need to think about the, uh, you know, the ramifications of their, their weakness, that it's causing guys like this to be killed. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Mark. Justin's still working from home. Um, Dawn in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, good morning. I wanted to let all the listeners know that um, in Illinois, if you have an adult who has intellectual or developmental disability, we have residential uh, placements for them, which we have a crisis in right now. Um, there are, are very rare placements, and, and it's a real serious situation. So we've got that going on. And on top of that, Governor Pritzker had decided to propose um, reducing hours, reducing uh, hours that these individuals are depending upon. So they have support workers who are taking care of them so they can um, live and ha- you know, have help with daily living skills. So Governor Pritzker was proposing to reduce hours because our state is broke. It is so frustrating. So I want to, I'm calling actually to congratulate those who are advocating against it. Governor Pritzker administration announced that they're only going to temporarily decide to halt a reduction in hours. So we need to be diligent, diligent on this and make sure that they don't do this. But what really is upsetting is that our state is broke and you're telling me that you're going to go after the most vulnerable individuals with, with disabilities. I mean, it's just disgusting. And I think that this is really, we really need to understand that those that minimize life, if you minimize the unborn, don't think they're going to come after you. They minimize the most weak. They minimize the disabled. They minimize the poor. And if you are not adding to what they think is available to their power, you're easily disposable. So, but congratulations to everybody who got this um, halted. We'll see. We'll see how temporarily it is, right, Dan? Uh, yeah, we've mentioned that a couple times this week. The eighty-seven million dollars in cuts proposed by DHS at the same time you're spending north of a billion dollars already on migrants, um, and how that basically sums up Illinois in a single sentence. That tells you everything you need to know about what the power structure in Illinois considers Illinois values. Uh, no question about it. Uh, thanks for the call, Don. Uh, yeah, and what Don is talking about too is right. So if you have these budget cuts, then your then the staff cuts come, and then when you have uh, uh, some of these uh, nonprofits like the one I'm on the board of, Envision, that have homes that provide twenty four seven care, yeah. well, then you're removing. Uh, one of the individuals that provides 24-7 care. I mean, it's not feasible when you're talking about people with some people with severe intellectual and de- developmental disabilities that need 24-7 care and don't have many cases, particularly with Envision, or you're talking about indigent clients they serve, don't have family. And $87 million, again, in a $50, $55 billion state budget when you're spending a billion on non-resident non-citizens here illegally i mean again tell me how those people have the moral high ground on this matter mm-hmm. barb lake mills wisconsin 
Hi, I, uh, as far as uh, Carrie Lake, I just want to let you know, um, she was on Megyn Kelly yesterday, mm-hmm. and it was a good interview, and I mean, I think I believe her, but anyway, she said that she um, recorded that conversation right before CPAC. Yeah, it was in March of last year. Yeah, and that um, when she went there and did her speech, she actually shared the information, but she didn't give any names. Um, and that uh, media really was uninterested. No, She said she'd been talking about it for almost a year, and no one's been interested until now. Well, yeah, because she didn't name names. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't doubt that she had been approached to get out of the race. I mean, that happens, by the way, a lot. I mean, it's not exactly unique. But media would have taken an interest in it. We would have taken an interest if she released it in last last March. But the question is, why didn't she name names and release it until this past week? And I think my explanation is probably the reason. Thanks for the call, Barb. And again, I'm not saying it's necessarily... A bad thing. That's power politics. I, I said, you know, she has a killer instinct. And frankly, we need more of that in the party. But I mean, you know, be careful not to get uh, too uh, cute in terms of shining people on about the release of this and the timing of this and so on and so forth. Hey, look, um, people's attention are focused on 2024. So I'm telling you what I'm up against as we're now in the throes of this campaign. Simple as that. What happened, happened. You make your own judgment on it. Fine. Uh, Al in Yorkville. Hey, I have composed a little jingle in honor of those crossing our southern border. Maybe you'd like to hear it. Yes. Oh, do we love, love jingles. Mm-hmm. Do you need a music bed with it? Illegals there. I see illegals everywhere, but they like where they're at today, and here is where they'll stay. They come from here. They come from there. I guess they come from everywhere, but they like where they're at today, and here is where they'll stay. They've come to Mooch where Moochin's best in the old U.S. It's Uncle Joe what brought him here, and here is where they'll stay. All right. Very catchy. Thanks for the call, Al. Appreciate you. I think Al was the original uh, composer of the Burma Shave jingle. Dan, Salem, Wisconsin. Dan and Amy, I called earlier, but I had to hang up because you had a guest. And I wanted to say, like, that guy that's going to let those illegal aliens stay in his building. Yeah. Until his insurance agent finds out about it and they sue him. Well, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, I mean, what I, you they know, sign leases, though. Well, well, I don't. Right. I don't know what he worked out or didn't work out. I mean, I, I hear you. Thanks for the call, Dan. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. We had a friend of his call in when we were talking about it and. Hopefully we'll get to talk to him. We can ask him some of those uh, pertinent questions. Um, Grant in Rockford. Good morning, you guys. Hey, my, uh, happy Friday. Michael Flynn had a great article in the uh, the Western Journal this week about uh, all the case precedent about how Texas has the right to defend its borders. Dan, I'd love for you to have him on your uh, counterculture program. I love that show. It's great. Thank but, you. Um, also, I was wondering, you guys going to have Julie Kelly on next week to uh, talk about all these January 6th pipe bomb revelations? Yeah, we're uh, we're making an effort. Yes. Thanks for the call, Grant. Yeah, we yeah, talked whole... about that earlier in the week. Right. Um, I mean, come on, give me. There's an, an alleged attempted assassination attempt on the VP elect, and no one knew about it. Well, 
the the I mean, yeah, right. So that's all the, the images and cameras. The, the video shows a law enforcement noticed about this pipe bomb that was a fake, and they yeah. don't take any particular base of action. They're unconcerned. Yeah, they let so kids so walk forth. by. We find out that the person who was telling the Secret Service and the Metro Police, uh, this has been reported, that um, there was a pipe bomb over here by this park bench. Feet away from them was a plainclothes D.C. Metro officer. So, you know, there's a lot of questions that surround it. It doesn't seem like uh, there's reason to believe the initial reporting on that. And again, the idea that there was this serious event, there was this play to blow up the DNC and the RNC, you know, to cover your tracks, throw one, throw a fake one in front of the RNC, too. And Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, who are otherwise obsessed with demonizing Trump and Trump voters over January 6th, would not talk about this, would not say, oh, we were this close. There was an essentially, right, as you said, an attempt on Kamala Harris's life made when she was in the DNC and this pipe bomb was discovered and so forth. Yeah, but again, it's just none of it makes any sense. If there's a a call, if there's even a threat at a shopping mall or a high school, everyone's evacuated immediately. I mean, right away. Everything shut down. Everyone's, you know, but these guys are just like, mm-hmm, no yeah, very one guy took a picture of it. Nobody scrambled to evacuate the building. It's such a hoax. Kids are walking across the street right. uh, right on the sidewalk, right Come where on. the uh, uh, fake bomb was found. Yeah, it's uh, old. It smells it, so bad. It, it smells like it, Jesse Smollett. It strains the bounds of credulity, doesn't it? I did want to just uh, also um, provide a little bit of summary of, of Joe, Joe Biden's week, the big guy. Mr. 10 percent, your president, um, he had a big week. He was um, in uh, Virginia for a restore row rally, which he got erupted, interrupted 13 times, by the way, by pro-Palestinians. Yeah, but he still got his message out. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. <laughs> Don't mess with the women of America unless you want to get the benefit. Is that what he's saying? What? Yeah. Uh, then, of course, he uh, went over to the UAW to uh, receive their endorsement. And he had uh, you know, this to say, commentary on the auto industry, following it closely. Because of you, Toyota, Volkswagen, Nissan, Tulsa, all gave their workers double-digit raises because of you. Mm-hmm. Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, round, uh-huh. rounds out the week uh, in oh, Wisconsin at a, a brewery. brewery. You know, he's connecting with regular folk out there. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, uh, uh, where was this brewery? This S- was, this was Earth Superior. Rider Brewery in uh, Superior, Wisconsin. All right. Earth, Earth Rider. The beer brewed here, <laughs> it is used beer. to make the beer. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. That, okay. <laughs> Illogical. Boop, I'm going to beer? Wait, just, just one more time. I'm going to see if we can translate this. Beer brewed here, <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer in this final. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. Yeah. Ooh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I'm having trouble. Big week. Uh, by uh, Rich uh, in Indian Head Park. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Hi, I gave a quick uh, comparison. Uh, if uh, Joe Biden was reelected, it would be like starting uh, an 82-year-old man uh, 
to play in the Super Bowl at quarterback. All right, thanks for the call, Rich. Uh, Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin. Amy, thanks for mentioning my garage band. It smells like Jesse Smollett. Uh, public service announcement. Nirvana uh, cover band. Yeah. Oh, yes. Two weeks ago, a thousand aliens were dropped off in Whitewater. You can Google it. Everybody that owns a lake house up in Lake Geneva, you make your, better make your way up here. There's people living in your lake houses. Uh, so <laughs> uh-oh. Better, they they uh-oh. discovered what a lake house is. Uh, and then uh, the D-Light Duo month is over with. Uh, we got them at the Abbey Saturday night. And then B, Phil and Reggie, be there or be square at the Geneva Tap House on Sunday, 2 to 5. You guys all have a great weekend. All right, uh, Chuck from Delavan, Wisconsin. And as we're wont to do, that concludes this week's installment of Open Mic Friday. And uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us this, this week. We want to thank... George Hoffman, who's been in for Justin Kosick the past two days, and Quinn McCarthy, who loves working here today because we got a new water cooler. By the way, Dan, you missed it. Our old water cooler broke. Well, we had nowhere to gather for a few weeks. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.